השם נעשה ונצליח. שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, נזר שיעור עם מיאמי. We have שבועות coming up in a few days, and I told you guys yesterday we'll go over some things in regards to שבועות. Maybe it depends on how long it takes us, how many questions you have, how much information is there to cover. Really, we could do the whole שיעור just about שבועות, what it really means. Or we can continue in uh, the, the uh, Musar series. Do you guys have any preference or uh, I think you're just okay. Shavuot? Okay. So first and foremost, what is Shavuot? Really the big question is, what is Shavuot? And I can tell you personally for most of my life, Meaning what, the embassy stuff? Oh, we talked about it yesterday, but we'll talk about it again. Okay, we'll tell you. Also, Shuv be with Washlema for Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana. God bless them, they both have a cold right now. And when my wife gets a cold, it's like Shem Rechem, she doesn't go away. And Yisheva. Chaya Bat Sarah, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esliya, Debbie Bat Sarah, Chana Bat Miriam, and all of them Yisrael Bezot Hashem will have refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah aguf. So we'll talk a little bit about Shavuot, we'll talk about what's happening in Israel, we'll talk about a little bit what does it mean, uh, Shavuot, a few of the halachot, uh, if there's time and, uh, and there's enough Siat uh, Mishmaim, maybe we'll even start the next Mishnah and Avot. We, Baruch Hashem, have a lot of ambition. All of the information is here. It's just a matter of doing it, Baruch Hashem. So the Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, Page 7a says that the Torah nimshala lemain. The Torah is a, they use like an analogy, uh, analogy to compare the Torah to main, to water. Why water? Because water naturally will always go to the lowest place. So if you start it at the top of the mountain, naturally water will travel down the mountain. Now, of course, the atheists and, uh, and, and the heretics and the so-called uh, modern uh, type of mentality, people say, no, that's gravity. It has nothing to do with Torah. It's gravity. All right, so it's gravity for you. It's Torah for us. Uh, you believe in yours. We'll believe in ours. And Be'ezat um, Hashem eventually either convince you to do tshuva or we'll just say hello to you when you're in Gainon from outside of the window. Uh, I never understood the atheist mentality. Well, you know, I mean, realistically, what's the point of life if, you're, if, if there's no God? What's the point of life if there's no mission? Why even live if you know for sure you're going to die? Why bring kids to the world if you know they're going to die? Why get married if you know you're going to die? Why start a business if you know you're going to die? 
Why do anything if you know you're going to die and this is the end? Like, for what? So they can remember your name? Who cares if they remember your name? You're not going to benefit out of it anyway. You're dead. Like, oh no, I'm building something to better the world. Who cares you're dead? What, what do you care about the world after you die? Do you care about your high school after you graduated? Do you care about the, uh, the garbage pail after you stopped using it? It's all nonsense. Realistically, even the atheists have a belief, and their belief is that they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Now, Am Yisrael was given a Torah, and the difference between Am Yisrael and the rest of the nations is the fact that the Torah was used as an analogy compared to water. Why water? Because just like water travels to the lowest point, Am Yisrael has to bring their ego to the lowest point. Why? Because the only way you're going to receive the Torah in its purest form is if you have no ego. And that's why the Pasuk says, Toivat Hashem kol gvalev. Anyone that has pride is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Not, oh, he doesn't like him. Oh, he should work on himself. Oh, you know what? Maybe he should do something better. No, no, no. It actually has a pasuk in it. There's several of them, actually. Where Hashem says, I'm disgusted. What does it mean, disgusted? You have to understand what it really means to be disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Because I think this should motivate a person that has a little bit of chokhmah. It should motivate them to work on themselves. The reason why is because what does disgusting really mean? Disgusting, like if you don't like something, let's say for example, I don't know, somebody bought you, your wife bought you a shirt. And you don't like the shirt. You like blue and the shirt is white. You like white, the shirt is blue. You like it uh, to not have any patterns, it has patterns. You don't like it. But if that's the only shirt in the house, you're going to wear it. Why? You don't like it, but you got to do what you got to do. That's not disgusting. That's just disliking. Disgusting is as if the only thing you have in the house is a shirt full of vomit and feces. Now, are you going to still wear it? No, it's disgusting. The thought is disgusting. And I'm using exaggerated types of, of examples to give you an understanding of what does it mean to be disgusting. So, when someone, Hashem Yerachem, is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem, they're worse than throw up. Why? Because Hashem created the throw up. He's not disgusted of the throw up. He doesn't say, I'm disgusted of feces. I'm disgusted of throw up. He doesn't say that. He's disgusted of ego. He's disgusted of someone that has a big ego. Why? He says, what is it like? It's like someone stole the robe of the king and pretends to be the king. It's the most absurd behavior in the planet. It's disgusting. It's like someone starts a campaign for a certain cause, but he himself doesn't believe in it. He himself is the enemy of the campaign. It's awful behavior. So, chas v'shalom, a person is not going to end up being disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Now, this is the difference between a real Jew and everyone else. Why? Because the Torah is given to the real Jew 
The Torah is given to everyone. But the reality is only the real Jew is able to receive it. Why? Because the real Jew is going to obey the Torah and remove ego. Remove his ego from the equation. No ego. If he has an ego, it's the difference between life and death. There were two major prophets at the same time. Both of them Jews. One of them was Moshe. The other one was Korach. Both were prophets. Both came from the tribe of Levi. Both were giants. One was the humblest man of all time, Moshe Rabbeinu. And one was Korach that's still in Gehenom until this day. The difference? Ego. Korach was, a, was, was Tamit Chacham. Wasn't an idiot. He was rich. He knew a lot of Torah. He was a prophet. He spoke to God. Prophet. Why is he in Gehenom? Ego. So the difference between a real Jew and everyone else in essence is that ego. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else is bad. There are plenty of good people. But what, the only way you could literally eliminate ego is by using the Torah as the tool. So first and foremost, that's the biggest difference that you have between Am Yisrael and all of the other religions out there because their ego, whether the religion is atheism, the non-religion religion, or Scientology, or Christianity, or Catholicism, or Buddhism, or Islam, or the eighty thousand other different types of, of uh, Abu Dazara that there is in all over the all over the world, especially India and Asia and so on, all over Asia, is ego. Ego is the killer. Why? Because when a person has an ego, rule number one, don't tell me what to do. Rule number one, don't tell me what to do. That's the religion. Don't tell me what to do. If I want to be with this woman, I'm going to be with this woman. If I want to be with this man, I'm going to be with this man. If I want to kill, I want to kill. Don't tell me what to do. And this is the common element in all of the religions that are against the Torah, including the sects of Judaism, that are not really Judaism, even if they call themselves Orthodox. There are many people that call themselves Orthodox Jews, but they're as far from being Orthodox Jews as you, you are from Mount Sinai right now. Why? Ego. Torah is given to someone with no ego. Now, of course, everyone has an ego. So Shem says, you have to work on it. And there's specific times during the year that you have to work on it extra. One of those times is Shavuot. As we said last night, Shavuot is celebrated as the day of Matan Torah, the day we receive the Torah. And it's 50 days after Pesach. That's what the Torah told us to do. Count seven weeks after the second day of Pesach. It's 49 days plus one day. 50 day separation. Why? From the time we left Egypt until we got to Mount Sinai to get the Torah, 50 days. But the Chachamim say, wait a minute, 50 days passed between the time we left Egypt and the time we got to Mount Sinai, but we only received the Torah, really, on the 51st day. Not on the 50th day. On 51 so why do we celebrate Matan Torah, Shavuot, 
on day 50. Why can't we just wait another day? Wait for 51. So the Marsha, Allah Shalom, says the following. He says to receive the Torah, Am Yisrael had to get prepared. How prepared? What, they had to make uh, uh, cheesecakes? What, they make cheese cookies? People think the whole holiday is about cheese. It's a nice minag, but it's not the holiday. The holiday is not about cheese. It's not about milk. It's about Torah. So, what's the problem? Why are we waiting? What's this 50 days, 51? What's going on? He says, Am Yisrael had to prepare themselves. They just came from a place that's considered the most disgusting place on earth. The place where all of the Gava in the world was centralized. Where the king himself, Parah, made himself into a god. He told everybody, look, I'm a god. How do, we, how do you guys know I'm a god? I don't go to the bathroom. So he would hold his needs for an entire day and didn't have a single bathroom in the entire castle. So it's not a bathroom. He says, no, how can I go to the bathroom if I don't have a bathroom? See, I'm a god. What did he do, though? He says, oh, by the way, guys, there's a special rule. What's the rule? At 4 o'clock in the morning, no one is allowed to leave their house. Why 4 o'clock in the morning? Because that's the time he would go to the Nile River and do his deed over there. And that's why Hashem Barach told Moshe Rabbeinu, go to Peor and meet him. Where meet him? Meet him at the river. Why meet him at the river? Meet him while he's pooping. I'm serious. It's in the Pasuk. Why? Because tell him we know you're a secret. You're not a God. You're not a nothing. You're not even a shoe. You're nothing. So, this is a place that Am Yisrael was in for 210 years. Even if you don't like the neighborhood, if you're there for 210 years, you're going to be infected. Even if you don't like the schools and you hate all the teachers, if you're there for your entire high school time frame, you're going to get affected. Even if you believe in Hashem full-hearted, but you continue going to public school, you're going to get affected. Even if you say, Ani ma'amin, Ani ma'amin, Ani ma'amin. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Unless you learn Torah, that's just words. It means nothing. It's just words. Emunah that does not lead to action is fake emunah. That's what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said in the Zohar. Emunah that does not lead you to action is fake emunah. Saying Ani Ma'amin and not doing what the Torah says, what do you, what do you believe? You believe in yourself. You believe in nothing. You're no different than uh, Paro. Even if your name is Moshe, even if your name is Pinchas, even, it doesn't make a difference. People think that just because you have a good name makes you something. Some people say, oh no, you know how good my, my grandfather was a tzaddik, my, my father was a tzaddik. I'm like, yeah, good, good for them. Why does that help you? Esav's father, grandfather, and brother were all tzaddikim also. He's still Esav and there's still a pasuk in the Torah. says that Hashem Yitbarach says, Esav saneti. Esav, I hate him. His father was Gdolador, his brother was Gdolador, his grandfather... He's nothing. Some people say, no, no, but he's, uh, no, it's Moshe. His name is Moshe. His name is this. Listen, Rabotai, there was Moshe Rabbeinu. 
there was Moshe the Rambam, but there was also Moshe Dayan, Imachshimo Vezichro. One of the biggest Reshaim in Am Yisrael's history. Until this day, people think that Moshe Dayan Tadik, he didn't see the history of what these Zionists did when they first started the country. These people are worse than Palestinians. You see some of the stories of Shemiachem. This stuff is it's not a conspiracy, it's, just, it's, it's confirmed. What they did to the Yemenite kids, they took Yemenite kids from their mothers and sold them to Goyim, sold them to Americans. Yemenite kids, little tzaddikim, cute kids, babies. Or Ben Gurion, Imachimo. Ben Gurion, what did he do? He, uh, what's it called? He didn't like certain people that were coming to, the, uh, to, to Israel. He didn't want them coming, so he had them shoot down the ship, kill people. Of who? Of Jews. This is a real story. This is not like conspiracy. It's confirmed. It's fact. It's history. But people to this day celebrate Ben Gurion like he's somebody, some big deal. And this is the confusion that we have today because today our ego is so big that we don't even realize how ignorant we really are. Our ego is so big in regards to thinking that we know everything that we don't even check if we know anything. We think we know everything because we have iPhones. We have a computer, you have email. Every Joe has an email address and he thinks, oh, I'm technology, uh, technologically savvy. Uh, we're much more advanced than uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and Rambam and all these people you're mentioning. We have computers today. We use science. The most absurd things in the world are said by people of Hamas that don't know anything, they don't know right, left. They don't know right, left, they don't know nothing. Without Torah, you have nothing. You know nothing. Why? Because Torah is what cleans your eyes to see the truth. Without Torah, you can't see the truth. You can see the lie. The liar can tell you in your face, I'm lying to you. He says, oh, that's true. You won't tell the difference. You won't know. You won't know. And that's why Rabotai, it's so disgusting to me right now of how some people that call themselves religious, you see them in the videos, uh, they wear a kippah, they have a beard, a mitpacha, and so on and so forth, and they say, call a kavod to the Christian missionary that is giving him a speech in Israel. They say, them one of the top Christian missionaries on planet Earth gave a speech during the uh, inauguration of the uh, U.S. Embassy, and everybody's clapping, wow, so emotional. What emotional? Do you realize he wants all of you to convert to idolatry? And when, listen, if, if the entire crowd was comprised of, you know, secular people that lived in the kibbutz their whole life and they eat uh, rabbits for breakfast, they don't know the difference between kasher and tamay, they don't know nothing. I so, hey, listen, miskenim, they don't know nothing. We're talking about religious people. People have kippah, people that uh, at least believe that they're modest and uh, keep Shabbat, keep kosher and so on. But they're saying, kol kavod to Donald Trump. Kol kavod to this uh, Higgins uh, missionary, pastor. Or better yet, a lot of people keep saying non-stop, kol kavod letzal, to IDF. Because of what's been happening this week, fighting the terrorists, and everyone is celebrating IDF like it's Mashiach. You know how dangerous it is to give credit to the army? Do you understand how dangerous it is spiritually to give credit for everything that's happening to the army? Because what you're doing is 
You're taking all of the miracles that Hashem just gave you, that you discovered where they're going to attack from, but you didn't. Hashem gave you the idea. That you discovered how they're going to attack, but you really didn't. Hashem gave you the idea. That you had the power to get up that morning and beat them. That you had the weapons to beat them. That you had the people to beat them. That you had everything. You take all of what Hashem just gave you and say, yeah, I did it. Because I have a green uniform on. And I have a gun. So I did it. It's my power, my strength. I did it. IDF. And of course the heroes are going to tell me, yeah, but isn't there such a thing called ishtadlut? You know, effort? Of course, effort. Of course, you need to do effort. But there's no one that says, use effort and take all the credit as if you did it. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Mount Sinai. He had to climb the whole mountain. But nowhere in the Torah do you see Moshe Rabbeinu says, yeah, listen, God, really, you should do whatever I say. Why? I climbed the mountain. You know, I'm Israel, you guys should all listen to me. Why? I climbed the mountain. Nowhere in the Torah does it say such a thing. Nowhere in the Torah is it that Avraham Avinu say to everybody, listen, you know, you should all listen to me. Why? I jumped into the fire. So why you jumped into the fire? So what? Hashem counts it as Mesirut Nefesh, as sacrifice. That's why you're a big deal. But you yourself, self-declaring yourself to be a big deal, self-proclaiming yourself to be the healer, the Mashiach, the solution, the cure, that's a problem. Why? You took everything Hashem gave you and you made it as if it was yours. That's a problem. That's a problem. And unfortunately, this happens every second. If it's not IDF, it's because of the business ideas we have, the books we write, the, uh, all the things that a person accomplishes, immediately always says, I, 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 I. Realistically, a person should never say I. I should never come out. Other than I sinned, you should never say I. Show me we. Why we? We, Hashem. And Hashem, I, Hashem made it look realistic by making my hands move. To do, to write, to shoot, to think. He made it look realistic for the rest of you, but between you and I, Hashem did the whole thing. Hashem did the whole thing. I did nothing. I did nothing. All I did is problems. I gave him problems. That's why I did. As soon as we take credit for anything, Hashem does not like it. Why? He says, oh, you beat the Arabs? You beat the enemy? No problem. Okay, go ahead. Continue on your own then. Now, why am I so scared of this? Because just this week, we're heroes, right? A week ago, a week before this week, we're all losers. Why we're all losers? The Arabs, the same Arabs, the same enemy, didn't need to break any borders, didn't need to do anything. What they do? They took a five, a five a shekel, not even five dollar, five shekel kites, put them, flew them into the air with fire and everything, and burned millions of dollars worth of land, Jewish land. With five dollars. The same God that allowed him to get to attack and lose is also the same God that gave him the idea and the ability to beat us with five dollars. He first showed us the warning. Look, they can beat you with five dollars because it's not them, it's me using them. So 
I'm just showing you they can beat you with five dollars. Because not them, it's me using them. So instead of getting the hint, and this week when they attack with more, with more than five dollars, what do we do? Oh, IDF, we believe in um, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, uh, Trump, all the soldiers. This is all, this is all dangerous. It's all dangerous. I'm not saying that they're bad people or it's anything personal. No, chazakimu buchim for fighting, for doing the ishtadlut, for effort. Chazaku baruch. You're fighting to protect your brothers and sisters. Chazaku baruch. You're fighting to lead people. Chazaku baruch. But to say, oh, the credit belongs to us, and not a single person saying baruch Hashem, that's dangerous. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Why? Because in reality, you didn't do anything. Hashem did the whole thing. In reality, Hashem could show you how they don't even need weapons if he wants to beat you. He could send you rain in two hours, drown the whole country two weeks ago. How many things could he send? That's what we have to understand. Matan Torah is an opportunity for us to fix these horrible midot that cause us to forget God. Hashem gave us in Parashat Azinu, He tells us, I gave you memory and forgetfulness. Memory, so you remember my Torah. Forgetfulness, so you forget all of the sorrow and pain you've gone through. What'd you do? You used the forgetfulness to forget me. Instead of forgetting the pain that you passed, that happened, you know, somebody dies, if you remember that your whole life, that, that same pain that you had the first day, Shemechem. Or somebody, uh, you know, hurts you, offended you in something. If you remember it, your whole life, you can't go on. You had a trauma in your life. If you don't get over it, you're not going to be able to move on. There's some people, they had a certain trauma in their life, and they, they just can't, they can't get through it. And it ruins their life. It ruins their life. So Hashem says, I did a kindness by you. I gave you the ability to forget. For what? So you can use it to forget the bad things, and move on with your life. Not forget completely, but forget just enough so you can move on with your life. What do you do? You use that tool to forget me. To take all the credit. And that's a problem. So, the time of Matan Torah is specifically for us to work on this. Why? We have 50 days between Pesach to Shavuot. But we got the Torah on the 51st day. The Maharsha says the reason why we got the Torah on the 51st day is because we needed to work on our midot, on our bad character traits that cause us to forget God, on our bad character traits that allow us to have the audacity to have an ego at all on the bad character traits that make us think that it's our money, therefore we don't want to share it. When someone says, you know, you should donate. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I worked hard for my money. Or if you donate, it's only if, it's, uh, if you're going to put my name on the website. You put my name on the building. You put my name on the chandelier. You ever go to these synagogues? They have chandeliers, little chandeliers, cost $500, $1,000, whatever they cost. And the plaque under it probably cost 100 why? Ah, listen, the guy who donated the chandelier, he wants to make sure that for generation after generation, 
Everyone knows that he's the one that donated the chandelier. It's the most absurd thing in the history of mankind. Shavuot is specifically to remove these things. Why? 50 days to fix yourself. 50 days to take out as much of it as you possibly can. Why? With an ego, you cannot receive Torah on the 51st. If you have an ego, you cannot receive the Torah on the 51st. It's like any other day for you. If you haven't worked on yourself, you haven't prepared yourself, maybe you can have a cheesecake. Torah you can't get though. Cheesecake you can have. Anybody, the dog can have cheesecake also. But Torah you're not going to get. That's why people that ask me all the time, you know, how is it that some of these really smart people that learn Torah and so on, they remember. They learn Torah and they remember it. And I learn and I don't remember it. How come? I said because they also work on their midot and they remove their ego and your ego is growing as you learn. That's the problem. If your ego is growing every time you learn something new, that means you're learning for the wrong reason. So Rabotai Karim, first thing is to understand that the Maharshah says we got the Torah on the 51st day because it gave us an opportunity to fix our Midot for 50 days. The Chachamim continue And the Magen Avraham continues to say, not only is it an opportunity for us to fix our midot during it for 50 days, but it also answers the very famous issue that we have during Pesach, which is that we always say, Dayenu Hashem, it would have been enough if you would have taken us out of Egypt and no more slavery, that would have already been enough good from you. You didn't owe us that kindness. You took us out from being slaves, no more slaves. That's already enough kindness. You didn't have to split the ocean for us. If you would have split the ocean for us, that would have been enough. You didn't have to bring us to Mount Sinai. If you brought us to Mount Sinai, that would have been enough. You didn't have to give us the Torah. If you give us the Torah, that would have been, you know, you, that was enough. You didn't have to give us Eretz Yisrael. Meaning we kept saying, everything you did for us is really more than what we deserved. Katonti mikola chasadim mikola emet Yaakov Avinu said, generations before. I'm already, all the chesed that you're giving me, all of the kindness that you're giving me, Hashem, is already too much for me. I don't deserve it. So we, as a nation, say on Pesach, everything you gave us is really more than what we deserve. But then the Chachamim asks, wait a minute. You're saying it would have been enough for him to bring us to Mount Sinai and not give us the Torah. Then why do we go there? If we're going to go to Mount Sinai, it's to receive the Torah. So why would you say it would have been enough to go to Mount Sinai and take us out of Egypt and split the ocean for us and do all these things that he did and not give us the Torah? Isn't that the whole point? To get the Torah? So the Magen Avraham asked this extraordinary questions and answers. This Ma'ashach Hidush answers it. Why does it answer it? He says, listen, part of the chesed that Hashem Yitbarach gave us is the ability to do tshuva. So during this whole transition of no longer, you know, stopping from being slaves, going through the plagues, going through hardship during the plagues, before the plagues, after the plagues, having to make a choice between life and death, pretty much, when we had the to put the korban of the... Uh, of the... Uh, 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 what is it? Uh, yeah, not the egg, the... Uh, Goat, which was the uh, the uh, Egyptian god, putting that yet that was pretty much life or death. Why? Because that was the Egyptian god. But Hashem says, make it a korban, make it uh, into a 
uh, what's called barbecue with this. These are difficult choices we had to make. And then some people didn't want to leave Egypt. So Hashem killed them. And then we got to this uh, Sea of Reeds. And then you have, uh, you know, we don't know where to go. We didn't know we're supposed to go inside the ocean. People were scared. They said, we're going to die now. It was difficult. All of this extra level of hardship helped us fix our midot. Why? Because you only second-guess yourself when you go through hardship. There's only two ways to go to fix yourself. One, learn an enormous amount of Torah and question yourself along the way. Does this apply to me? 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 How does this apply to me? It does apply to me. It always applies to me. How, though? Once you learn Torah, the questions change. In the beginning, you ask yourself, how does this even apply to me? Then it's, it applies to me, but how? Then is I can't believe all of this applies to me. Then it's, I have to fix all of the stuff that applies to me. Then it's, Baruch Hashem, that Hashem gave me the insight to realize all of this applies to me. During tshuva, your questions change. Same question changes form. All of the difficulties were a way for us to ask ourselves the same question. It was fast-paced tshuva. Fast-paced tshuva. Hashem says, listen, you don't have the Torah, so you're not asking the right questions. So now I'm going to fast-pace your tshuva. You go to major hardship. We went through major hardship and everybody did Shuba, started fixing themselves, fixing their ego, fixing their bad character traits. Why? To get to Mount Sinai. Why Mount Sinai? So we get Torah. So the Chachamim say, even if we didn't get the Torah, the kindness from Hashem to allow us to fix ourselves, that was already enough. Why? Because we became good people. We became good people. That was already enough. We were, we were not good in Egypt. We were just like the Egyptians. Came to Hashem and says, Why are you going to save these people and kill these people? Both of them are idol worshippers. They're idol worshippers and they're idol worshippers. Why are you going to fix them? He says, Oh, they're going to get the Torah. And to get the Torah, they're going to fix themselves. Meaning, the Chachamim explained to us, without using the Torah to fix ourselves, it's not Torah. You're not using Torah, it's something else. And that's why it surprises me sometimes to see this in real life, to see people that teach Torah, to see people that claim to know Torah and they can spit out verses to you like it's a computer. But you see how they behave, you see what they say, you see what they do. And it's mamash, you see yourself, mamash, it's a prophecy of Erev Rav coming to life. No one says that Erev Rav is ignorant. Erev Rav knows a lot. Unfortunately, they're using it the wrong way. So... If the Torah is not going to help you fix your midot, it's not Torah. Because the Torah, nimshela lemaim. Nimshela lemaim, meaning the analogy to compare it to is that it's water. Why water? Because water goes to the lowest place, just like your ego is supposed to go to the lowest place until it's removed completely in order for you to become a vessel to receive the Torah. So Shavuot is the opportunity for us to actually do this, to put this to life. Now, the Ramchal, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, in Der Hashem, chapter 4, 7, said that 
the cycle of the calendar year is more than just a series of anniversaries commemorating historical events. Anyone that says that the Torah is a history book loses their right to live according to the Torah. Permit. It's not an exaggeration, it's not a chumah. Someone that says the Torah is a history book, it's just to tell us the history of Am Yisrael, loses their right to live. It's a book of laws that has history in it. Two completely different things. It's a book of instructions that tells you how to live, how to succeed, how to fulfill your, 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 your purpose in life, but it has stories in it that you can learn from the stories. Because it's much easier to learn from someone else's actions that you can relate to than just a rule book, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And also it's much easier to connect to something that's been done for so many years already. It becomes part of your lineage, part of your purpose, part of your identity. When you realize that you are related to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that means something. To a real Jew, that means something. Because the reality is, I said this in a, in a shiur on Tisha B'Av two years ago, that uh, a person needs to understand that by them not going B'derech Hashem, them not going them not going in the way of Hashem and sinning without a care in the world, without an intent to do tshuva, either because they want to intermarry or they just don't want to keep Shabbat, they don't want to keep mitzvot, they don't want to learn Torah every day, they just want to live like the goyim. Now they have to understand what this actually means in reality. Not just in their vision, but in reality. Because like I told you, the only way you could see the truth is with learning Torah. So before you learn Torah, it's virtually impossible to see the truth. Everything is a blurry. So, I remember as a secular person, I never thought of such a thing. Never thought of such a thing. And I don't believe any other secular person thinks of such a thing. Simply because it's not something you would think of. Because if you thought about it, immediately you're not secular anymore. And I'll tell you why. A person that leaves Derech Hashem, he decides, I'm not going to keep Shabbat. He decides, I'm going to intermarry. He decides, I'm not going to learn Torah, so I don't know what to do, I don't know right, I don't know left. I'll just do whatever I hear or I heard, whatever the customs are, whatever is easy for me, whatever fits my life. This is clearly a person that has turned Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo, all of the sages, all of the giants, all of the holy people in Am Yisrael's history into, you know, some figures that somebody, you know, it's a history book. They're not connected to him anymore. Why? Because once you learn who these people are and understand the amount of Mesirut Nefesh they had to get to, the amount of sacrifice they had to get to, for you to fulfill the Torah, for you to actually have it in your hands, everything changes. Why? 3,300 years, they're sacrificing their life. Moshe Rabbeinu sacrificed his life for all of Am Yisrael. Hashem says, I'll kill them and I'll start something new from you. Moshe said, kill me, not them. Kill me first. Avraham Avinu, 
They told him, listen, Avraham, listen, just bow to this idol, we'll give you whatever you want. Jumped into the fire. Yitzchak, Hashem, over here, just over here, make it quick, no problem. Abba, tie my hands behind my back and tie them to, uh, to, to my legs too so I can't move because maybe last minute I'll get scared. Tie me real good, Abba. He tells Avraham, he tells his father, Abba, make sure you tie me really good because I'm stronger than you. So when you slaughter me, make sure you tie me really good. Mama Sechet Shabbat says, what's an Akedah? How do we know what Akedah is? We know it by Yitzchak. How? He tied the arms and the legs behind the back to each other, meaning it's impossible to move. For what? So we have to... Yaakov sacrifices life day and night. For what? So we have to... Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron, David, Shlomo, all of these giants sacrificed their life for what? For you to be a Jew. Am Israel that you never heard of even. The, the, the generations of the pogroms, the inquisitions. They told him, come become a Christian. Come become a Muslim. Come become a, a different type of idol worshiper. And you'll get everything you want. No, kill us instead. What kill you? Why would you want to die? Why would any normal human being want to die? Just be a Greek, be a Roman, and that's it. What's the big deal? You can hide your Judaism at home. Be a Jew at home. Whatever. You don't, you don't have to really believe it. You don't have to really believe it. Just tell us you believe it. Do it in public. Make sure you don't embarrass the, the uh, idol-worshipping king. Just say you believe in Yoshke. Just say you believe in Muhammad. Say you believe in Buddha. Say you believe in whatever. Just say you believe. But I'll be a religious Jew. Whatever you want. No, kill us. Why would you want to die? Because I'm a Jew. For 3,300 years we've been doing this. For what? So you can be a Jew today. Now that means, you say, yeah, but I'm a Jew. Oh, it's not so easy. Why? If you decide to leave the derech, if you're not even on the derech, you don't keep Shabbat, you don't keep Tarat Mishpacha, you don't keep kosher, you're intermarried, you're about to intermarry, you're about to go to public school. You are in public school. You're going to send your kids to public school. You're going to go to a mixed beach. You're going to go to a mixed to a wedding party with mixed dancing in it. You're going to do all these things that Hashem says not allowed. You are now ending Judaism with you. Judaism ends with you. Why? Once you become a Khalil Shabbat and you stay that way without doing tshuva, that's it. No more Judaism. You are now considered a goy. Now your son's going to see it. He says, listen, since uh, Abba is acting like a goy, he doesn't keep Shabbat like the other religious Jews, and Ima dresses like the goya, and she's not uh, covering our hair, she's not modest, then uh, I'll marry one too. What's the difference between us? If we're acting like them, then it must be that we should be just like them. So let me go marry them. Let me have kids with them. And all of a sudden, your innocent decision not to be religious just ended Judaism one or two generations after. Your son, your daughter decided, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna intermarry. Their kids are not Jewish now anymore. That's it, Judaism ended. You go up to Shemaim and you're gonna meet Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron. David, Shlomo, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, all the tzaddikim are come to you like, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? 
You know how hard we work to make you Jewish? 3,000 years of generations of people sacrificing their life. Literally, not figuratively speaking. Literally sacrificing their life, jumping into fires, willing to die for it, so you can be a Jew with peace. What do you do? Nah, I don't feel like it. 3,000 years, you are ending. That's what it means to be secular. You really want that responsibility? No, no, Judaism is, uh, it's, it's in your heart. Who said? No, my mom is Jewish. Okay, so your mom is Jewish, but your kid's not Jewish because you married a non-Jew. Yeah, but it goes by the father. Who said? No, I, I, I believe it does. Why do you believe there's Judaism? Because it says in the Torah, okay, the Torah doesn't agree that Judaism is, goes through the father then. You can't pick and choose when you believe the Torah and when you don't. You can't pick and choose. And that's the thing, Abutai. Who wants this responsibility to be the one that ends Judaism? Do you understand the magnitude? A secular person doesn't think like this. Why? He thinks he's perfectly fine. He's as Jewish as you are. Just in his own way. When the Hasidim used to come to my office, I didn't see them as more Jewish than me. They're doing tefillin every day. I did it once in a while. They kept Shabbat. I didn't. They wanted staka. I gave it to them. What's the problem? We completed each other. No? No. According to the Torah and the, the book of laws that says what is Judaism... That's not being Jewish. That's just being another person. So the Ramchal Kadosh says, the Torah is not a history book, Chas Shalom. And the calendar is not a series of anniversaries commemorating these historical events. Quite the contrary. The Ramchal says that just like the heavens opened up, and a great spiritual powers were given to the people of Am Yisrael as they encamped the foot of Mount Sinai 3,300 years ago. The heavens make these gifts available to us every year on this date. Meaning, during Mount Sinai, Hashem opened up the seven heavens. Why do you open up the seven, seven heavens? He says, look, I'm alone here. There's no other God. All of the angels came down and came to Amisad. Each one gave them two crowns. Each person had two crowns. The amount of miracles that happened at Mount Sinai is unimaginable. Unimaginable. You read the Midrashim, you're thinking, wow, this is unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable what happened. Bezat Hashem, in the next day or so, we're coming out with part four of Torah and Science and Ancient Wisdom. Talks about some of the things that happened at Mount Sinai. One of the amazing things is that it says in, in Parashat Yitro, Matan Torah, that Am Yisrael saw the words, saw the, saw the sounds. What do you mean saw the sounds? You mean heard the sounds? No, it says they saw the sounds. How do you see sound? You hear sound. How do you see sound? Well, there was a couple of scientists in Israel that wanted to actually find out, can you see sound? 
So they connected, they created their own machines and connected their machines and wanted to see if their voice can lead to the machine drawing an image. Not like the uh, machines that like uh, you talk in types, like Siri and, uh, and other things, like the IBM machine that already existed 30 years ago. We're talking about machines that are machines that are specifically for sound, not for voice. Point is, I go through it, it's in the uh, Coming Revolution or uh, Science Comes of Age by Rabbi Zamir Cohen. We talked about it in the lecture. And they tested this machine. So they said, okay, let's, if I make a sound like ooh, ah, eh, you can't draw something. Well, how do you draw ooh? How do you draw ah? What's the, how does ah look like? So let me go to the simplest sound. What? The sound of a letter. So they started with the most common language in the world. What's the most common language in the world? English. So they said, A. And the machine drew nothing. Drew something that looks nothing like an A. They said, B. And the machine drew a bunch of things, but it looks nothing like a B. C. Nothing like a C. They tried other languages. Nothing worked. So then they said, okay, let's try Hebrew. Aleph and the machine drew an Aleph the same way we draw it today 3,300 years after we got the Torah drew an Aleph Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zayn, Chet the entire alphabet only language on the planet that the machine can draw both machines two completely unrelated tests unrelated machines unrelated scientists Similar concept, completely different way. Machine can only draw, can only make the image of the Hebrew language. Why? Because that's giving us an understanding of what the Pasuk says, where it says they saw the sounds. What saw the sounds? The Midrash says every time Hashem spoke, the image of the letters of what's coming out was drawn in the sky. How can you see it? We didn't need this information 3,000 years ago because we saw it ourselves. We needed this information 500 years ago because we were much more innocent people. We asked so many questions. This generation of ignorance and arrogance asked a lot of questions. Said, you ask questions, I got an answer for you too. No problem. You want to see how the pasuk, what it means when it says they saw the sound? Here you go. This is how you see sound. This is how you see sound. You'll see this in the video of Hashem tomorrow, the next day we'll publish it. The point is, Rabotai, is that just like these major events took place in Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago, the Ramchal Kadosh is telling us it's taking place right now. Hashem re-gives us the Torah every year. Every year you have an opportunity to fix yourself and become a vessel for the Torah. The Arizal says that if a person studies all night without a break, without the borekas, without smoking uh, every five minutes, he's up all night smoking cigarettes with his friends. Better off go home, sleep on the couch, sleep, uh, sleep at home. What do we... If he studies Torah all night, the Arizal promises, he doesn't make too many promises, the Arizal promises in his name, nothing bad will happen to you that year. 
That's if you study Torah all year, all, all night. Not if you're hanging out with your friends. You study Torah all night, something special. Why? Because that's the that's the time to do it. That's the time to do it. Why? It's Matan Torah. You're fixing the tikkun. Why do we not sleep? Why do we not sleep on the night of Shavuot and study Torah all day? Why? Because that was the mistake Am Yisrael made. Am Yisrael, Hashem said, I'm going to give you the Torah. What we do? We fell asleep. Hashem got upset. He says, listen, this is our, we're about to get married. You fall asleep on me. That's why we stay up. The angels are here. Hashem is here. The Shekhinah is here. Everything is here. Get ready. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat says that Two angels came to each person and crowned him. Spiritual crowns. Each year we're given the same opportunity. Each person needs to take advantage of it. It behooves a person not to take maximum advantage of it. This is the time where you could literally ask for the most important thing in the world. It's not money. It's not a wife. It's not children. It's emet. It's Torah. So yeah, yeah, ask for anything. What anything? Ask for Torah. Ask for Torah. Ask for Torah. That's where you can get all the Torah you want. You really want it, but show Hashem you want it. Show Hashem you want it. So now, if you look at Parashat Yitro, Parashat Matan Torah, it says in chapter 19, Moshe brought the people forth from the camp towards God and they stood under the mountain. How do you stand under a mountain? Maybe next to the mountain, maybe on top of the mountain. How do you stand under a mountain? You can stand in a cave. Under a cave, but under a mountain, how do you stand under a mountain? So the Gemara Masechet Shabbat explains the amount of miracles that we saw in Matan Torah defied what we believe as nature. Hashem wanted to make sure that Amisel realized this is a marriage. So what did he do? He turned Mount Sinai into a chupa. Mount Sinai. That was the humblest of all mountains. The other mountains, everything in creation has an angel responsible for it. So the angel of the tallest mountain said, oh yeah, of course Hashem is going to give the Torah on me. I'm the tallest mountain. The prettiest mountain said, no, no, no. I'm the nicest mountain of all. Look at me, it's beautiful. There's flowers, there's this, there's that. I'm the nicest mountain. Hashem is going to give it to me. Hashem says, not you and not you. What am I going to give it to? Mount Sinai. Why Mount Sinai? Mount Choriv. Why? He's the humblest. He's not the tallest. He's not. He's the humblest. He's the humblest mountain. He didn't even volunteer. He didn't even want it. It's like, who am I bichlal? That's the mountain I'm going to give it to. Why? Because the Torah is humble. Amisad needs to be humble. The mountain can only be given on something humble. So now this Mount Sinai, it's a mountain. You see a mountain, it's a mountain. Some are bigger, some are smaller, some are wider. But the point is, you see, that you can imagine the visual of what a mountain looks like. 
But the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, Hashem wanted to make sure Am Yisrael knows this is a marriage. It's not some, uh, I'm not just giving you a keys to your new car. Like the parents give a 17-year-old brand new keys for some strange reason. They give him a brand new car. Instead of giving him, uh, you know, some car that just came out of the junkyard, they give him a brand new car to go destroy. He doesn't even know how to drive yet. Anyway, Hashem says, no, no, no. I'm giving you the best right now. Why? I love you. But I need you to make sure, I need to make sure you know what we're doing here. I need you to make, I need to make sure you know what's, on the line. So he turned the mountain into a chupah. What chupah? He says you're going to stand under the mountain. What's under the mountain? The mountain all of a sudden went from this to this. And Am Yisrael is under the mountain. Am Yisrael is standing under the mountain. Why is Am Yisrael standing under the mountain? Hashem says this is our wedding day. If you receive my offer to accept the Torah, here we're married. We're never going to be separated. This is Ahupa. If not, if you say no, this will be your burial ground. The top of the mountain that's on top of you will collapse on top of you and kill all of you once. The sages and Gemara says, wait, what kind of wedding is this? This is a threat. Ah, wedding, usually, both parties agree. And if the per- one person forces the other, it's not really a marriage. You forced them. They didn't really agree. So the sages explain that, yes, this was a marriage. And yes, they had the option to say no. And Hashem told them, what would happen if they say no? They had the option to say no. He wasn't forcing them. He just told them that if you say no, there's a consequence. You have the option to keep Shabbat or not keep Shabbat. No one's putting a gun to your head and uh, shooting it before you violated it. You have the option. You keep Shabbat. You don't have to keep Shabbat. You could be married to a Jew, you could be married to a non-Jew. You could eat kosher, or you could eat non-kosher. What the Torah is telling you is that you can do whatever you want. There are consequences, though. Half the Torah, if not more, tells you that if you can do whatever you want, but you need to know. There are consequences for what you do. This is one of the 13 principles of faith, where Hashem specifically tells us, I pay reward to the righteous, and I punish the wicked. A person that does not believe in this is removed from minyan. He cannot be counted in minyan. He cannot be counted as a witness in Jewish ceremonies. He's considered outside of Am Yisrael. Why? This is the foundation of Torah. If you think that Hashem only gives reward and no punishment, you believe in a different religion. So the Chachamim say, okay, fine, I, we understand that there is a... Uh, Punishment for not listening to the Torah, but over here we're receiving the Torah. We don't really know all of it yet, but we're already accepting the whole thing. Or is death. Why would we pick death? Like it's an obvious choice we're going to make. So Torah responds, what do you think? That we have an irresponsible God that's going to leave the entire creation to a bunch of people that can change their mind here and there? 
Because Hashem made a promise that when He created the world, He created the world for Torah. 974 generations before He created the world, He wrote the Torah with black fire on top of white fire. And when He put all of the pieces together to create the world, on the sixth day, He made a deal with the angel responsible for earth. He told him, listen, there's going to come a time that I'm going to give this Torah to a nation. If they accept it, then Friday turns into Shabbat. Friday goes into Shabbat, beginning of Shabbat, we can celebrate Shabbat together and rest together. If they say no, they're not going to see Shabbat because I'm bringing back the entire world to how it was before we got here. Nothing. And this is the reason the Gemara says that when you say in Kiddush, Yom HaShishi Vayechulu HaShamayim Va'aretz, you're saying a pasuk from the Torah in Sefer Bereshit. It says the sixth day is different than all the other days. Because every time Hashem completed creating, at the end of every day, He said, He saw it was evening, it was morning, first day. It was evening, it was morning, second day. There was no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Hebrew. That's all names of uh, false gods, different idols, by the way. It all comes from different idolatry. All the names of of the days in English come from different forms of idolatry. Every one of them is a name of a different idol. In Hebrew, there's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In Hebrew, it's Rishon. Rishon means first day. Also, the beginning of the week, in, in, in according to the Torah, is Rishon, which is Sunday. Sunday, you can see, it's the, 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 the sun god. That's why it's called Sunday. Because they, these Goyim used to believe in the sun being God. So, Rishon is Sunday. Shani, Monday. Shlishi, it's the third day, Tuesday. Revi'i, fourth day, Wednesday. Chamishi, fifth day. Shishi, sixth day, Friday. Shabbat, seventh day, they call it Saturday. So, each time Hashem completed creation at the end of the, at the day, He says it was evening, it was morning, end of first day, end of second day, end of third day, end of fourth day, end of fifth day. But then when it gets to the Pasuk of Friday, it says it was evening, it was morning, Yom Hashishi, end of the sixth day. Meaning there's an extra word, the, in Hebrew. In English, it's an extra letter, hey. Yom Hashishi, instead of Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi, Yom Revi'i, instead of saying Yom Shishi, it says Yom Hashishi. It's an extra letter, which in English would be equivalent to the extra word the, T-H-E. So Chachamim asks, what's this the, what's this extra letter? Why don't you just say end of sixth day? It says, because this hey, this extra letter, is the signature. It's Hashem's signature of the deal He made with the Malach. What deal? The deal that if they receive the Torah, when I give it to them, in 2,448 years from then, they receive the Torah, then we get the Shabbat. If not, I bring back to the world, back to Tovavo. What does He represent? Also, it represents the number five. What's the Torah? Five books of Moses. 
So now, Rabotai Karim, is that this is the reason why Parashat Yitro says that we actually stood under the mountain and not next to it and not on top of it. But the next question is, why is the Matan Torah parasha called Parashat Yitro? Why isn't it called Parashat Matan Torah? The parasha that we got the Torah. Why is it called Parashat Yitro? Because here, Hashem Yitbarach is trying to teach us several things. Number one, number one, even though, halachically speaking, if your mom is Jewish, you're by default qualified to be a Jew, that by itself does not make you a Jew. What makes you a Jew? If you accept the Torah. Accepting the Torah is what makes you a Jew. If a Jew has a kid, a mom has a kid, and the kid goes to public school, and the kid acts like a goy, doesn't uh, keep Shabbat, doesn't keep the laws, doesn't keep Torah, doesn't know Torah, nothing, According to the Torah, he's considered 100% an idol worshiper. There's no such thing as a good Jew and a bad Jew. There's no good Jew, bad Jew. It's either you're a Jew or you're not. Either you're Jewish or your Judaism is on suspension. Of course, if you keep Shabbat right there and then, you're bad. You don't have to convert. But here we see the parasha is called parashat Itro. Why Itro? Because Itro wasn't born from a Jewish mother. Yitro wasn't born from a Jewish mother. Yitro came over here and he sacrificed his life, his job, his money, his family, his everything. What? To go join Am Yisrael by accepting the Torah. That's number one. Number two. Am Yisrael before this, before this parasha, is not called, is not called Jewish. They're not called Jewish. Why? There's no Torah. Judaism was not created yet. Up to this point, everyone that lived up to this point, have a seat. Everyone that lived up to this point were considered B'nai Noach. They were all considered Noahites. They all considered Noahites. Even though the Avot HaKadoshim, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov obeyed nearly the entire Torah, they really obeyed the entire Torah, but they knew that they're not allowed to keep Shabbat, so they would violate Shabbat on purpose, just like a Noahide is supposed to do, and so on and so forth. They're not allowed to keep Shabbat, so they didn't keep Shabbat. They're not allowed to do certain things, so they wouldn't do them. But everything they were allowed to do, they did. The point is, is that up to this, up to Parashat Yitro, Judaism was not born yet. So what changed at this parasha? Torah. Once the Torah came into the world and it was given to Am Yisrael, which at the time were called Bnei Yisrael, and we accepted them, from that moment on, everyone that accepted it is called a Jew. Everyone that accepted it is called a Jew. Even Moshe Rabbeinu was not considered a Jew until Matan Torah. Which means that this parasha is called Parashat Yitro. Again, to remind you that you can't just think that just because your grandfather was a rabbi and that your great-grandfather was a bigger rabbi and that your brother is a rabbi and everyone's a rabbi, you don't have to do anything but you're still a Jew. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. Or just because you like the Torah 
You're a Jew. Eh, by a lot of you, it's, what, what wouldn't you like about it? Obeying the Torah makes you a Jew. Complying with the Torah makes you a Jew. Even if the Torah tells you you're not allowed to do something, that's what makes you. Unfortunately, sometimes there's people that want, that come to me, they say, I want to convert, but I can't. I want to convert to Judaism, but I can't. Different issues. Sometimes because their spouse doesn't want to convert, and they don't want to get a divorce. Sometimes because they can't afford moving to a Jewish neighborhood yet, so you can't really be a Jew in the middle of nowhere. You have to be a Jew in a Jewish community. So they can't convert. It's logistics. Or sometimes they're not ready or whatever it is, but they want to live a half-Jewish life. What's a half-Jewish life? Learn the entire Torah. Keep the holidays they want to keep, but without being a Jew. This is 100% forbidden. And according to the Rambam, Chayav Mita. According to the Torah, Chayav Mita. It's death penalty. Why? You're creating a new religion. There's no such thing as Jewish without being a Jew. Meaning, you can't just pick and choose. Okay, I'm not going to convert. I'm not going to you know, keep all the laws, but I'll keep the ones that I like. If you want to comply with the Torah, you comply with it whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, you can't, you can't convert right now. You're not allowed to keep Shabbat. You can hang out on Shabbat. You can have dinner on Shabbat. You can not work on Shabbat. You can not drive on Shabbat. You can do whatever you want. But you can't not do those specific things because it's Shabbat. Because that's keeping Shabbat. The same thing goes for anyone that wants to learn Torah. There's one guy that's a really, really nice young man. And he loves learning Torah. And he wants to advance and he's advancing. He's going to learn the Gemara. I told him you're not allowed to learn Gemara. He wants to learn Kabbalah. You're not allowed to learn Kabbalah. You're not allowed to learn these things. Why? Only thing that a non-Jew is allowed to learn is the basics of the, uh, the five books of Moses, the Tanakh itself, the written Torah, and all of the specific things that are relating to them, which is specifically Musar. Musar they could learn. Tanakh they could learn. But all of the details of the mitzvot, the details of the Chagim, the details of the mystical aspects of Judaism, and things of that nature, they're not allowed to learn. Why? This was specific gifts for Am Yisrael. If you want to learn them, become a Jew. And the Rambam says a, a non-Jew that learns the Torah that they're not allowed to learn is a thief. Chayav mita, heavenly death penalty. They could shortchange their life, bring a lot of problems to their life, even death. Why? Because it's considered stealing. You want to learn the whole Torah? No problem, become a Jew. More than happy to help you. But if you don't want it, you want to, you know, learn everything but do nothing, that's a problem. So, Parashat Yitroh is called Parashat Yitroh instead of Parashat Matan Torah, the Parashat that we got the Torah, because it's showing us that anyone can become a Jew. Anyone can become a Jew, just accept the Torah. Third thing is, is that when you ask yourself, why did Hashem pick Yitro and not Moshe? Technically, Moshe was also a Noahide that became a Jew. So you can use the same argument for him. But Yitro did something that most people, or really no one else, would ever be willing to do. What? He made the ultimate sacrifice. Yitro is the ultimate convert. 
in the, in the, in the male category, number one convert in history. He started with Mesirut Nefesh, and he never finished. The part that most people know is Pasha Titro. Titro left the million dollars a month job that he had as the Pope, left family, left friends, left fame, left fortune. It's tough to leave this type of stuff, guys. I know it's easy to read about it, but it's tough to do it in reality. Left the job, left the millions, left everything. Why? For the truth. Yeah, but you're going to become a part of the nation that was a slave a week ago. Yeah, yeah, it's good. No problem. What do you mean? You're going to go to the desert. Who wants to live in a desert? You have a house five stories high. You have water right next to you. Who knows if you're going to survive the trip? You're going to go in a desert? Why would you want to go in a desert? Only thing that's in a desert is scorpions and, uh, and, and snakes. You're going to go in a desert? Sacrifice your life to go in a desert just to be part of a nation that was slaves a week ago? Yeah, 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 they have the truth. Who knows if they're going to survive? Who knows if they're even alive? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. I never talk. Like, things that to any normal person seems completely irrational. You thought, went, why? The truth is over there. Sacrifice his life, and that's the story that everybody knows. Most people don't know how it continues. After Am Yisrael got the Torah, it says Yitro left. Why did Yitro leave? He says, I have to go back to Midian. Why are you going back? I know the truth now. It's not fair for me to keep the truth to myself. I learned the truth, and I learned that Hashem, the God of Israel, the only God that really exists, He has the ultimate character trait. What? He's generous, He only gives, and He never receives. So how can I learn His Torah and do the opposite? The Gemara in Masechet Abu Zarah says that a person that learns Torah without an intention to teach is like a person that doesn't have a God. Yitro says, how can I learn this Torah now? I got Torah and not share it with people. All my family, my friends, my enemies, my everybody, they don't know Torah. They don't know anything. So how can I keep it to myself? I got to go save them. I go to Kiruv. Yeah, but they may kill you. Okay, let them kill me then. Yeah, but they're going to hate you. Okay, so let them hate me. You're sacrificing your life. Okay, so I sacrifice my life. What's the question? We can stay with us. I'm Israel. I'm Israel Khan. I'm Israel Khan. We're eating. We're drinking. We have man. We're everything. You have to worry about food anymore. You have to worry about Panasat. No. I didn't come to this world for easy. I didn't come to this world for easy. I came here for the truth. I found the truth. Oh, you want to just coast? No. I came. I'm going to spread the truth. He went back to Midian and converted people. 40 years later, 40 years later, Am Yisrael, where is Am Yisrael? They arrived at Israel. They arrived, they settled, each one of the tribes took a different place, they built their places, they started doing good, all of a sudden they see Itro and his sons. Lots of people. Which shows that Itro got rewarded with, uh, with, with uh, many days. He was hundreds of years old already. Because he was the father-in-law of Moshe. He's the father-in-law of Moshe. Okay? On top of that, on top, so he lived at the time of Moshe. And was before that, because we already know that he was alive at the time before Moshe was alive. Because when you have the whole story of a uh, Paro deciding what should I do with Am Yisrael, you have Bilam say, kill them. You have uh, Job says, 
nothing. And he throws, says, no, don't, why? You should say thank you to them. Why you want to go against them? And then he ran away. Meaning that he was alive already before Moshe. At Matan Torah, Moshe is 86 years old. So that means at the very least, he's more than that. Then he leaves. He leaves for 40 years. Because we're in the desert for 40 years. He arrives. We're in Israel already. And he comes to them and says, they all know this is, uh, whoa, whoa, this is the father-in-law of uh, our Melech, our uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah Shalom. He already died at that point. It's his father-in-law, Yishtabach Shimo, he's still alive. The guy is two, three hundred years old already. Wow, and he has a son, all tzadikim, everything. Listen, kavod, we have to give you kavod. This is the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not like some guy. Not tzadik balair. This is the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. Imagine, the father-in-law of the Mashiach. Does it get better than that? What do they do? They say, give him a city. Give him the best city. What city? Yericho, Jericho. Give him the whole city, the whole town, the whole city. Give it to him. Him and his sons, go give it to him. The most beautiful place in Israel. Plants, trees, this, that. The most wealthy part in all of Israel, give it to him. He goes over there. He sees... Nice trees, food, doo, 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 it's all good. He says, I didn't come for you for this. I didn't come to Eretz Israel for the trees and the fruits and the money. I came for Torah. Where's Torah? Where's the Torah? Oh, you want Torah? The Chachamim are in Midbar Yehuda. The Chachamim are in the desert. They study in the desert, away from all the beautiful stuff. They're still in the desert. The Chachamim are in Midbar Yehuda. He says, this is where we're going to go. Yeah, but you have the most beautiful... You studied already. You know something. You're a Jew already. What are you doing? Coast, relax, relax. You're 200 years old. Go in retirement. Relax. At least stay there for a few weeks, a few months. Take it easy. I didn't come here to coast. I didn't come to this world for vacation. I didn't take the Torah and convert and put all my life on sacrifice just so I can relax. I came here to learn Torah. I came here to fulfill the Torah. And so did my sons. He left Jericho and went to the desert with scorpions, snakes, who knows what other enemies, but it has Torah. It has the Tadikim. He goes there and the Midrash says they all went, they went, they got to the tent, huge tent, inside full of Talmidei Chachamim with Ruch HaKodesh. But him and his son, sons do not understand a single word. They're outside of the tent, looking in, but they're too embarrassed to go inside. For a long time, not a few hours, for a long time. Why? He said, we, don't, we didn't learn this. I got Matan Torah. A few things that I learned in Mount Sinai. That's it. I, learned, I took just... Uh, some basics, and that's it, I finished, I went. He, he wasn't uh, learning in the desert for 40 years like the rest of Am Yisrael. He learned everything. So now they're learning Torah already, it's already developed, it's already big, it's huge. It's much more than he knows. It says he didn't understand a single word. A single word. What would you do? Offer number one is go back to Jericho, retirement, You're, uh, you have the trees, you have the castles, you have the pool, you have the beach, you have money coming, uh, they're giving you everything you want. 
And you're already okay anyway. You already sacrificed your life. Most likely you're going to Gan Eden. What are you worried about? Just keep the holidays. Keep Shabbat. You're fine. Or sit there and embarrass yourself all over again and tell them, uh, excuse me, Kvodarav, um, can you teach me Aleph Bet? Yeah, but you're 200 years old. How come you don't know Aleph Bet? Uh, excuse me, Kvodarav, can you teach me Pashat Bereshit? You're 200 years old, 300 years old. What do you mean? You're the father-in-law of uh, Moshe Rabbein who gave us the Torah. How do you not know Aleph Bet? You don't know Matan Torah. Excuse me, can you teach my, my children, each one of them is 50, 100 years old, can you teach them Aleph Bet? Can you tell them what it means? You know how embarrassing this is? Sometimes I go and I give lectures to a lot of people, and uh, I tell people, you know, do you understand what I mean? Everybody says, yes, yes, yes. So, you know, some, once in a while I know that they don't understand what I mean, so I explain it anyway. Why does everybody naturally say I understand? Because they're embarrassed to say I don't understand. It's embarrassing not to understand. But only a chacham knows that it's a good thing to say, I don't understand. Because that's the only way you're going to know. To tell somebody, I don't understand, now I'm going to learn. Your ego is removed. So now but now an ego at 20, 30, 40 years old is fine, but now you're the father-in-law of the giant. You can say, I don't understand, Aleph Bet. I don't understand, Bereshit Barai Lokim Tashamayim Taharetz. I don't understand, Beyond Parashat Yitro. I don't understand what happened. Did you see it? With all my sons? Yes. They stood outside until the Chachamim saw them and invited them inside. Oh, you want to learn? We'll teach you Aleph Bet. We'll teach you Matan Torah. We'll teach you everything. They got, because they lowered themselves, because Yitro lowered himself to Mamas, nothing. Because he wanted the Torah, Hashem gave him everything. What's everything? Each one of them got to a level of Ruach HaKodesh. And each one of his, his sons became part of the Sanhedrin. Became part of the Sanhedrin, became Gdolador. Why? Ego. Removed, Torah has room to come in. Ego's there, no room for Torah. So, this is the other thing we learn why it was called Parashat Yitro. Parashat Yitro means that Yitro made the ultimate sacrifice. Not just sacrifice of money, sacrifice of ego. Sacrifice of ego. It's easy to have no ego when you're a loser. It's hard not to have an ego when you're the biggest winner. He was a winner. He had money, he had fame, he had fortune. According to the, the world society, to their behavior, he's a winner. He's got money, he's got fame, he's got fortune. What do you need this Torah stuff? It's easy to have no ego if you're homeless. It's easy to have an ego when you have no brain. It's easy to have no ego when you have nothing to have an ego about. It's considered sacrifice when you really have a reason, according to society, to have an ego. That's the trick. That's the Mesirut Nefesh. That's why it's called Parashat Itro Le'olme Olamim. Forever and ever. It will always be called Parashat Itro. The main parasha we see the Torah is what? It's gifted to the one with no ego. Who? A convert. Oh, someone that had no inclination, like literally, if you thought about it, and you thought the history of Yitro, where he was, 
And what are the statistical possibilities of him becoming Doladol, him becoming the father-in-law of the, the Mashiach, him becoming the giant that the Torah is called after him? No chance in the world. There's not even a, a statistic to say it's a possibility. Hashem says, here you see, anyone that wants the truth, I'll give it to them. Which means that anyone that doesn't have the truth, it's because they don't want it. If Yitro can receive the truth and fulfill it, that means anyone can. That's why it's called Parashat Yitro. Also, you will notice that on Shavuot, the custom is to read the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth, who? The ultimate female convert in history. All converts identify with Ruth. Who was Ruth? Simply said, Ruth was a daughter of a billionaire. Billionaire, not millionaire, billionaire. She had everything she could possibly imagine. She's a princess. When she was asked, why don't you just go back home? Your husband died, your father-in-law died, everybody died. The only thing that's left is your mother-in-law. Go back home. She told her, go back home three times. She told her, the psukim say, uh, she told her to go. Naomi told her, go back home three times. From there, they got the minag of rejecting converts three times. Minag, not alakha, like people think. Minag to reject converts three times. Because she told her, go home three times. Ruth said, no, your God is my God. Your people are my people. Yeah, but you go back home and become a millionaire again. I don't have any money. I don't have anything food to give you. What do I have? I have nothing to give you. I have to I can teach. What do I have? That's all I need. All I need is your God. All I need is your people. That's all I need. I don't need money. I don't need anything else. Hashem says, no one in the history of mankind has ever lost from doing a mitzvah. No one in the history of mankind has ever lost from doing my will. No one. You thought you lost all the money for a second and, they, and all the things that come with it? No. What? He made Boaz, the Gdolado, find favor in her eye. Yeah, but Boaz was married. The day she said, your people are my people. Your God is my God. What happened? Boaz's wife died. Boaz became available. And Boaz heard the nice things they said about Ruth. Let's not have mitzvah, poor boo. Yeah, but you're uh, 80 years old. What poor boo? I'm responsible for effort. Outcome is not my problem. A Jew is responsible for effort, not outcome. Outcome is none of your business. Whether you're rich or not is none of your business. Whether you're tall or not is none of your business. Whether your prayer is accepted or not is none of your business. Whether you become Talmit Chacham or not is none of your business. What's your business? To learn. To pray. To work. To try. That's your business. Outcome? None of your business. Winning is only decided by the hand of Hashem. Fighting, trying, that's us. We try to have kids. Doesn't mean we'll have them. We try to make panasa. Doesn't mean we'll make it. We try to become tamidei chachamim. Doesn't mean we will. Hashem decides. He gives chokhmah to someone that likes chokhmah. Gemara Maseret Brachot says, Rabban Yochanan says, who does Hashem give chokhmah to? 
Who does Hashem give wisdom to? Someone who likes wisdom. What do you mean? Someone who likes... How do you know if he likes wisdom? If he has wisdom. Wait, you should say, if Hashem gives chokhmah, Hashem gives wisdom to the fool. Because he doesn't have anything, so he can make him wise. No, no, no. Hashem gives wisdom to someone that already has wisdom. Why? Rabban Yochanan, are you confused? Not confused at all. If Hashem gives wisdom to the one, one that has wisdom, why? Because if he has wisdom, that means he likes it. That means he tries for it. That means he wants it. And if I give him more, he'll know what to do with it. But a fool is only a fool because of choice. He doesn't like wisdom. He's lazy. He has complaints. He has excuses. He doesn't know because he chooses not to know. He knows the salary cap of every NBA team. He knows the uh, salary of every player. He knows uh, what's a fastball, a screwball, a curveball. He knows the, all these different things of how they throw a baseball and a football and how fast they run the 40. And he knows who has the most expensive car and who is the big CEO in some company. He knows all the shtuyot, the nonsense of the world. We tell him, what's the halacha? Are you allowed to light fire on Shavuot or not? Uh... Uh, what do you mean? How come you don't know? You're a Jew. How come you don't know? How come you don't know? It's death penalty if you light fire. Your life's on the line. You don't even know it. So Rabotai Hashem gives chokhmah to someone that has chokhmah. Why? Because that means he likes it. That means he wants it. That means he tries for it. Hashem says, if I give it to him, I'll know what to do with it. The fool chooses to be a fool. If I give him chokhmah, nothing's going to happen. He's going to waste it. He's going to waste it. So Boaz says that I have to fulfill the mitzvah, pro-bo, I have to get married. And I have to make the deed. Be with my wife. The Torah says they got married they, be, they were intimate that night and he died the next day. What happened from that? David Melech. What happened from that? Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben David came from an outcome that's not even rational. That's against all nature. That's against all odds. An 80-year-old with a young girl. What, what is he doing? It's, a, it's, a, it's not like, uh, what's going on here? If you follow the Torah because Hashem said so, Hashem runs the world, changes nature. This is what Rabbi Akiva tells us throughout the entire Gemara. This is what Rava tells us throughout the entire Gemara. This is what Abaye, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu, all the Chachamim, all the Tzadikim, all the Dukshim, they say things that are simple. The Gemara asks, Hakam Rava, the Chavuta of Abaye, how come he's right most of the time? He Alakha goes like Rava. How come Alakha goes like Rava? You know what it means? Rava is right all the time. It's not like Abaya doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a giant. He's in every page of Gemara. But Rava wins most of the debates. Why? This means Rabotai. Do you understand what it means? You understand what it means? If Alakha goes like you, Alakha goes like you. That means that somebody comes and says, "I want to know what does Hashem think." Go ask Rava. 
What does Hashem want? Go ask Rava. In Shemaim, the angels go up to Shemaim, Hashem, in such and such a lounge, go ask Rava. He knows. Do you understand what it means? Alakha goes like Rava. Alakha goes like this. It means that you have Da'at Torah. What's Da'at Torah? Da'at Torah is the opinion of Hashem. Everything you say is in line with what Hashem thinks. Can you imagine such a thing? What did Rava do to earn such a thing? It's amazing. The Gemara in Masichet Shabbat, I heard this story originally, I read it, but I also heard it again, Rav Nisimi again. It's very important to give credit to the source, even though I read it originally from the Gemara, I also heard Rav Nisimi again as well. One time, Rabbi is sitting, learning Torah, and he's sitting on his hands for a long time. I don't know how long, could be days. Because what ended up happening is that his hands started bleeding. From sitting on them for so long, his hands, his fingers started bleeding. Massive amount of blood. He didn't notice. He didn't notice. He's continuing to learn. He's going back and forth. His hands are bleeding, gushing blood under him. He's sitting on his hands. And his blood oozing out. He doesn't notice. Nothing. Some heretic Sadducee comes to him. And says to him, you, you, you nation of machmirim, uh, you people are too stringent, you're too crazy. You should have, you should have first heard what Hashem said, and then decide if you want to accept it. But look what you guys do, you, you, you take things to the extreme. Look how you're studying, your, your hands are bleeding. He says, we're not stringent. We're simple people. We know that our Father in Heaven only means well for us. So we took his word. He said the Torah is good, we took the Torah. It didn't make a difference what it said. If our Father in Heaven gave it, that means it's good. He says, you, you heretics, you're just looking for excuses not to do it. That's the difference. We're simple. If Hashem gave it, we know it's good. You are trying to compete with Hashem. Maybe you have a better idea. Mesirut nefesh for the Torah. It didn't make a difference. He was bleeding, not bleeding. It didn't make a difference. He didn't notice it. Why? He was glued to the Torah. He sacrificed his life for the Torah. But not just the Torah, he also sacrificed his life for Kvoda Torah. He learned his Rav was Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef became blind. But the honor that Rav had for Rav Yosef was extraordinary. Anytime he would leave, after they finished learning, he would leave, he would always face Rav Yosef. He would always face him. Yeah, but he's blind. He can't see you. Doesn't make a difference if he's blind or not. The Kavod Torah doesn't make a difference if somebody sees that I have Kavod for the Torah or not. I have to have it. So every time he would walk away from his rabbi backwards. Like you walk away from a Sefer Torah. When you go up to the Torah, you kiss the Torah, you're not supposed to turn your back to the Torah. Look up on the Torah. You're supposed to walk backwards facing the Torah. When you go to the Kotel, you go to the Kotel, when you walk away from the Kotel, you're not supposed to turn around right away. You're supposed to walk backwards. Why? It's not appropriate to give your back to the Torah. That's also why there's a Minag in uh, Middle Eastern Minag that when a shoe is upside down, they turn it back up. 
Now, people have turned this into Ainara. It has nothing to do with Ainara. It has nothing to do with Ainara. The original reason of why you're not supposed to have a shoe upside down, or in essence, it's a minag not to have it, it's that it's not kavod for Hashem to see the bottom of your shoe. Even though in reality, Hashem sees everything, the point is, is that that's, that's how kedoshim, how holy the people of Israel have been to such an extent that we're even worried about how our shoes are. So we don't dishonor Hashem even with shoes that are in a closet. To such extent, Am Yisrael is worried. For Kvod Hashem, for Kvod Torah, Rava would walk away from his rabbi backwards. Several times he would hit himself and fall and get hurt. One time he hurt himself and blood started gushing out of his head. Now Rabbi Yosef asked, what happened? Something happened, something happened. So the students of uh, the other students came to him and says, your student, Rava, he walks, when he walks away from you and you finish learning, he walks backwards. So not to dishonor you, because you're like a Sefer Torah. Not to dishonor you, so he walks backwards, he doesn't give you his back. Because if that's the Kvodah Torah that he has, and he got hurt over here, because due to his Kvodah Torah, May he get the same honor. What the same honor? Allah will be like him for the rest of it, for forever. Meaning he will get, because he has Mesirut Nefesh for the Torah, he has sacrifice for the Torah, and he also has Kavod for the Torah, may he achieve the level where his mind, his opinion, his ways will be Da Torah. Meaning Allah is like him. What he thinks is what Hashem is thinking. What Hashem desiring. Do you understand what kind of magnitude this is? Yes, somebody, yeah, yeah, what, 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 is Hashem, what does Hashem want me to do here? Oh, ask Rava. But not ask Rava what's opinion. No, no, what he says, Hashem says. Hashem says, go ask Rava. Tells the angels, you guys want to know something, go ask Rava. That's the Torah, time. That's a holy person, make sacrifices. Make sacrifices for Hashem Barach, make sacrifices. But obviously he's only winning. He's only winning due to it. To this day, we know who he is. Who's going to know who we are tomorrow? So, with that being said, we'll go over a few alachot of Shavuot so you know. First and foremost, you should know that Yom Tov... Shavuot is considered Yom Tov. Yom Tov means that it's the same as Shabbat except cooking. Except when it comes to cooking. Now, you're not allowed to light fire out of nothing. You have to have pre-existing fire. So it goes from ish to ish, from fire to fire. So for example, on Shabbat, you're not allowed to light fire, and you're not allowed to transfer fire. On Yom Tov, you're not allowed to light fire, but you are allowed to transfer fire. So if you already have a pre-existing fire, you're allowed to take that fire and light a new fire from it. So for example, uh, the uh, Shavuot starts, Motzei Shabbat. Motzei Shabbat, it starts. So this is different than most times. Usually, in recent years, it's been where the holiday was during the week. 
And sometimes it would connect the Shabbat, but it would be before Shabbat. So it would be, let's say, the holiday, you know, is completed on Thursday, and then we start pretty much Friday Shabbat already. So then we use Iruf Tavshilin in order to be able to uh, be allowed to cook for Shabbat. But there's no Iruf Tavshilin this year. Why? Because you cannot use Iruf Tavshilin when the time to cook is going to be Shabbat. You're not to cook on Shabbat. So, first and foremost, you need to make sure that everything that you do has to follow Allah and not your opinion. Now, you have to have a candle, even if you don't smoke, even if you're not planning on cooking. Let's say if you cook everything before Shabbat, and you don't plan on cooking during the holiday, you'll be allowed to cook on Sunday and Monday, as long as there's a pre-existing fire, and there's other rules that are followed, uh, that I'll explain momentarily. You're allowed to cook, but some people choose, like for example, we usually choose to make everything ready before the holiday. We usually don't cook during the holiday, not because it's not allowed. It's allowed, it's just that we just rather have it all ready, and we use a plata, a hot plate to just warm it up. It's used, For us, it's the easiest. Other people, maybe they have bigger families, It's not so they can't cook that much, I don't know, whatever, the, everybody is their convenience. The point is, is that um, if you're going to use, whether you're going to use uh, the fire for cooking or not, you should still have a candle that's going to be lit through Shabbat and beyond. Why? Because you're going to need to use this fire from the candle to do Avdalah. Amotse Shabbat. You need a candle to do Avdalah. You're not allowed to light a fire after Shabbat. It's already Chag. Amotse Shabbat, it's already Chag. You're not allowed to light a new fire. So you're only going to be able to use the fire from the candle you lit before Shabbat. So you have to get one of these 48-hour or, or 72-hour candles and light them before Shabbat and use that fire to light a new candle. Light a new candle for Avdalah, to do uh, Avdalah. Now, you shouldn't use that specific candle for Avdalah. You should use a different candle. But now you have a different issue, which is that you're not allowed to shut off the candle. Now not to shut off the candle because it's still chag. Not to shut off the candle. So you should have a small candle and then you can put it away and it'll shut off on its own over time. So have a candle because you need to use it for Abdullah anyway. Now if you want to, for example, you want to cook on uh, Sunday, it has to be under certain conditions. You cannot, if you're, uh, if you have these, um, Duchemish, what's Duchemish? Uh, was uh the elect no, not electric it's the uh from the sun the energy from the sun what are they called solar 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 panels if your energy i don't know if that's very common in uh, in florida i don't think it is in california it's very common in some places in new york if you have solar then it makes life a lot easier if you don't like we don't then using the electric uh um uh, stove is not possible unless you have a timer unless you have a timer uh, same thing with in regards to showering on uh, during the Chag if you're uh, if you have an electric boiler that's heating your water you can't shower during the Chag only if it's either solar or it's in a uh, way where the water is already preheated and it's not going to be new water going into the tank and reheated and recooked. So you have to go into the details, you have to know the logistics of how your 
boil it works or not. In reality, it's a, uh, I think you could, uh, you know, pass without showering or you could just do simple things like a uh, wet uh, towel or something like that. Just be careful not to rip any uh, hairs and so on. But there are different ways that you can shower. If it's cold water, you can shower with cold water and even with warm water if you have the necessary tools uh, to, uh, to do it. On Shabbat, you're not allowed to shower. Not allowed to shower. This is only talking about Sunday and on. Uh, second thing, the other thing is, is that as far as the, uh, if you're not going to be cooking, you have, and you're going to use a, a plata like us, a hot plate, then that plata has to be on from before Shabbat. From before Shabbat. So some people, it bothers them because they're concerned, maybe it's going to overwork itself or so on. Uh, I always uh, recommend for people to buy the uh, plata for my dear friend, uh, at Tech Yid, it's a very good plata. It's the one that uh, was uh, invented after the disaster that happened uh, a few years ago, where the uh, apparently the uh, plata caused fire after it was on for a few days, and the wiring in many of these platot, these hot plates, are loose. They're not made very well and uh, very dangerous. It caused fire, and Hashem uh, people died. Uh, so he actually, uh, he made a plata that's very safe. I can go on for a few days with no problems. Uh, if you, I mean, generally I think that it's a, uh, it's, it's good to get it anyway, just because it's a good product. But aside from that, if you have one, you want to use it, use it. You could also use it with a timer. If you have a timer that you want it to turn on and turn off, just make sure that it's done at the right times and not the wrong times. Um... If you're going to uh, cook with, uh, with, with gas, if you have a gas stove, I don't know, most people in, in Florida that I know don't have gas stoves. If you have a gas stove, then you cannot use those, uh, those little electric uh, things, that the uh, chargers in the beginning, the charger thing. You have to light it from an existing fire. You can turn on the uh, gas, but you have to uh, make sure that you're not using that electric current because that's a new fire that you're creating. Um, the uh, biggest thing of Shavuot is to make sure that you understand it's Yom Tov. Yom Tov, in order to symbolize that you're actually celebrating Yom Tov, the big thing is to drink wine and have meat. Now, I know it's a minag to, uh, to eat dairy on this holiday, but that's not the ikal, it's a minag. It's a minag, but it's alachad, you have to eat meat and uh, like Shabbat, yes. Now, on Shabbat, you have three seudot. You have Sudali now, it's on Friday night. Second one on, uh, on uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, no, I'm sorry, on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Shabbat afternoon. And the third one is usually Sudash Lishit, which is usually around, you know, right uh, uh, after Mincha, around, at this time in, uh, in Florida, it's around 7 or so. But since, since the Chag starts immediately after Shabbat, during the... Motzei Shabbat, you're gonna to have to have another dinner for the Chag. So the uh, it's better to do the uh, Sudash Lishit during the afternoon, early afternoon. Now, according to the Ben Ishchai, you're supposed to have Sudash Lishit after Mincha, so you can learn. You could uh, do uh, Mincha early, like around one or so, one or two o'clock, and then uh, eat Sudash Lishit around that time, and then do then after that time you have let's say six seven hours. Until Motzei Shabbat, and then you have the Suda for 
the Chag itself. And the reason why is because you're supposed to arrive to the Chag hungry. Not, uh, you know, you can't skip the meal because you already ate like, uh, you know, like you've never eaten in your life before. So you have to get, you have to have some appetite. Also, you have to make sure that whatever you're, when you're getting your shopping before the Chag, you have to have Lechem Mishneh for each meal. Lechem Mishneh meaning complete bread, complete loaves of bread. It doesn't have to be huge. It can even be just loaves or even a, a pita. But it has to be complete. It has to be two for every meal. Now, some people buy big chalot. If you have a big family and you're going to eat the entire challah, then good. But if you're like us and you're a small family and you're not going to eat these two big chalot, you're not even going to eat one of them. So buying, uh, you know, six of them for every Shabbat and then now you're going to have the holiday, you have a Shavuot, it's another two, uh, two meals. Another two meals, it's another four. You're going to have ten chalot, but you're not even going to finish one. Then it's bal tashchit. Then you're actually making a sin because you're going to waste it all. So it's better to get the smaller ones. Better to get whatever you're going to eat. If you're going to eat it, eat it, enjoy it, no problem. But if you're, if you're not going to eat it, then it's better to get, you can get, let's say, one big loaf for, let's say, uh, Friday night. And the rest of the loaves, you can get smaller ones. The ones that you're going to eat, the whole thing, or even pita, whatever it is. That, uh, but it has to be complete. Point of Lechem Mishneh is that it has to be a complete loaf. Not one that's already cut, already bitten into. It has to be, each time you do a meal, it has to be a complete loaf of bread. The size of it is irrelevant. The size of it is irrelevant. The Baalei uh, Musa were always questioned in everything. Because when you teach the truth, the enemy tries to show that you're uh, making a mistake somewhere. Because if you make a mistake in one thing, that means that everything else you're saying is not right. So, the Oli Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael speaks about his rabbi, and uh, he says that one time somebody asked, you know, if he's learning and teaching all this Musal, when does he have time to uh, learn Gemara? When does he have time to learn Halakha? When does he have time to learn all of the details of the intricate parts of the Torah? He's only learning Musal, okay, he's good, he's a good person. But he doesn't know all the Alachot and all the Mishnayot and all this. Musa, Musa, Musa. The Rabbi Yisrael says, on Shabbat, we say that there's a rule, there's Alachah, that you, every meal you have to have Lechem Mishneh. Lechem Mishneh meaning you have to have a complete loaf of bread. It doesn't say that it has to be big. It just has to be complete. So that means that if you have a choice of one small bun that's complete, Versus one bread, one loaf of bread from the beginning of this room all the way to the end, but the end of it is chipped off. Which one do you use? Small one. He goes, we rather have the small one that's complete. And the big one, it's incomplete. So apparently I'm not the first one that was uh, questioned. So the point is, Rabotai, you have to have lechem mishneh, you have to have complete loaves of bread for each one of your meals. That means for Shabbat there's three. That means for the Chag there's going to be two. Some people make it three meals for the Chag because they have one meal for uh, dairy and then two meats. Uh, also, when you do Avdalah, when you do Avdalah for Motzei Shabbat, you say Amavdil ben Kodesh le Kodesh. Not Kodesh lechol. But even if you say Mavdil ben Kodesh lechol, you don't have to repeat it. 
Because in comparison to Shabbat, all holidays are considered chol anyway. So you still get out of the chovah, but you should remember to say Kodesh le Kodesh. Also, when you do Avdalah, you do not make a blessing on the psamim, on the incense. You don't make a blessing on it during Avdalah. And as a matter of fact, you do it as part of your Kiddush. Avdalah and Kiddush are done at the same time. The same cup of wine you use for Kiddush, the same cup of wine you use for Avdalah. Now, there is a minag that uh, during Kiddush, uh, you put three drops of water in the wine. There's a minag to do that. Um, but during Avdalah, you don't do it. You don't do it. That's not the minag. But, uh, so they ask, since the Avdalah and the Kiddush are done at the same time, it's the same cup of wine, what do you do? So Rabbi Ephraim wrote in his book, he brought some, Baruch Hashem Siyat Bishmaya, some serious uh, insights and, uh, and, and proofs that since the Kiddush is the Ikal, is the more significant than the Avdalah, then you can put, the, if you have already had a pre-existing Minag, to put three drops of water into your wine, you would do it even though you're using the wine for both Avdalah and for Kiddush. If you had the Minag, if you don't have the Minag, you don't do it. But the point is that you're allowed to do it, it's not a problem. Um, once the Chag starts, really once Friday starts, there's no driving, there's no phones, there's no computer, there's no turning on and off your electricity. If you have uh, one of these houses or you've set up your house to have these timers, make sure that you program them for the Chag also. Because some people make a mistake, they program all the lights, let's say for example, to turn off at, uh, you know, at Motzei Shabbat, and assuming that they're going to turn them on the next morning on their own, without the timer, because it's Sunday usually. But since Sunday is, it's Chag, so you can't turn them on. So make sure you program those timers that you have to include the Chag also. If they can, just leave everything on, whatever you want on. And uh, We don't have these timers, but whoever has them can use them. You just have to make sure you have to be very careful. Now, also, this is mitzvah for a, and a warning for the women uh, that you have to be very, very careful because there is a nerod, the, the candles you have to light for Shabbat. And there's also candles you have to light for Chag, for Yom Tov. Now, usually, women light the candles for Shabbat. You know, the times that are published in newspapers and websites are usually 18 minutes before sundown. 18 minutes before Shabbat starts is when usually you light the uh, candles. So, if you light the candles 10 minutes before, it's still fine. If it's 5 minutes before, it's still fine. Because it's not Shabbat yet. With Chag, it's the same thing. Now, here, the issue is, is that you have to make sure that you light the candles for Yom Tov after Shabbat is over, not based on sundown. Because if you light them before sundown, then you're violating Shabbat. It's still Shabbat. You're not making a mitzvah. You're violating Shabbat. It's a Sude It's death penalty. So you can only light the candles for Yom Tov after Shabbat is completed completely, which is after sundown. And you're clogged. I'm sure you have web- websites, applications everywhere. It tells you exactly when to light the candle. Or the earliest time you're allowed to light the candle. 
That's when you light the candle. Do not light it early because that's Chilul Shabbat. I can't emphasize this enough. It's Chilul Shabbat, it's death penalty. It's not a mitzvah. So you have to make sure to light it at the right time and also use a pre-existing fire that you already lit from before Shabbat because you can't light a new fire. So get one of these 48-hour or 72-hour candles that you're going to use the pre-existing fire from there to light your candles. You can't use a uh, matches or a, uh, a lighter to light the candles because it's Shabbat or it's Chag. So you can do esh le esh, fire to fire, but not a new fire. So that's, that's that when it comes to that. As far as, uh, like I said, with cooking, you have to make sure that you have the ability to cook. If it's a uh, uh, guest and you can't use those things, uh, if, let's say, for example, you want to make a barbecue, on uh, on Sunday and Monday, you're allowed. Uh, it's just that you cannot use those uh, starters. So you turn on uh, the turn on the gas knob, as long as it's not electricity. You turn on the gas knob, and you put take that candle that you have. You take maybe a little stick or something to take fire from that, and you can light the can. You can light the gas that way, and uh, not from a uh, you know not from the machine itself. You want to make a barbecue, people like to make barbecues during the Chag, that's one thing. Now, the biggest thing to know is that don't eat too much on Saturday night. Don't eat too much on Saturday night. You should eat, you should eat a piece of meat, enjoy, no problem, but don't eat like you haven't eaten before. Why? Because if you do, you're going to fall asleep. And then you're going to fail miserably from completing the tikkun of what we're supposed to do during this holiday, which is to study Torah all night. If you ate half a lamb, you're not going to be able to stay up all night. Maybe you'll stay up uh, all night in your in your dreams. So eat, you know, just to get uh, the mitzvah and uh, to be with the family a little bit, but your local shul should have a... Uh, a studying session, there are many traditions that, uh, many shuls that do the tradition, which is to learn there's a tikkun shavuot, where they go through briefly the entire Tanakh. Through each parasha briefly, they say one thing quickly. Uh, this is mainly for men. I mean, women, some places they allow them, some places they don't, but it's a, uh, the main mitzvah is for the men. Uh, women, if they're, uh, you know, if, they're going to bring their children to the shul. Don't come. This is not kids' night out. Uh, don't bring your babies to uh, to eat the cookies and the bulekas at the shul. Stay home. Have them go to sleep. That's the mitzvah. The Gemara asks, what do women go to Gan Eden for? They don't learn Torah. They learn just enough to get by. They learn about Shabbat. They learn about Midot. They learn about Tarat Mishpacha. But they don't learn you know, every halacha and all the things that the men learn. What do they go to Gan Eden for then? Women go to Gan Eden because they send their husbands to go learn Torah. So no one is asking to become Ruya. No one is asking to become Chana. Nobody is asking to become a Tamidah HaChama. If you're a woman, your biggest mitzvah is to send your grown children and husband to the yeshiva, to the kolel, to the Beknesset to learn Torah all night. That's your mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah for you to go to the shul to learn all night and your husband stay home. Sometimes you have these types of odd marriages where the woman loves Torah, the husband loves television. 
So she goes to uh, learn Torah, she goes to the Shield Torah, and the husband watches the kids. <laughs> this is the most absurd thing in the world. In general, not just during Shavuot. You should know, there is never a time where the Torah of the woman is, takes precedent over the man. Never. Never. What the woman needs to learn, she can learn at home. She don't need to go to a shiur. So that means that if there is, let's say, for example, every Tuesday night we have a shiur, and it just so happens that the local shul has a shiur for women and for men. But you have kids. Somebody has to watch the kids. Unless you're going to get a babysitter to watch the kids, the woman can't you know, go to the shiur and the husband watch the kids. Anyone that does this is making a mistake. If the husband can go to a shiur Torah, if there's a shiur Torah for him to go to, or if he's going to learn Torah, and uh, you know, then he has to go learn. She can learn another time. These women that go to the shiur Torah thinking it's a mitzvah to do it, and their husbands are sitting at home watching kids, or watching baseball, football, all this stuff, it's not a, it's not a mitzvah. This is not your purpose in life. So just Everyone needs to know what their role is. We're not saying that don't learn. But there's a time and place, and the fact is that the man is obligated to learn. Women are not obligated to learn. They're obligated to learn less. So it's critical for people to know this, because I see this all the time. People come to the shurim, it's happy, great, wow, and then one day I meet the husband. The husband uh, is a babysitter. He's a professional babysitter. He's a professional babysitter. I said, oh, I, I thought he died. I never knew he existed. Because I see his wife coming to my shul for two years. And uh, one day I meet that there's a husband. I thought the guy died, divorced, I don't know. And then I meet the husband. The guy doesn't know how to keep shul, doesn't know anything. But his wife is at every shul. No, this is, not the, this is not what we're supposed to do. Send him to the shul. You stay home. Why? He's obligated. I know you like Torah. It's not a problem. I'm not saying don't learn. But he has to go. I'm not saying don't learn. But he's the one that has to go. So, today we live in an upside-down world. Baruch Hashem, teaching women is the easiest thing in the world. Why? Because since they're not commanded to learn Torah to the same level of a man, women love going to Shuret Torah. They're the best students I have are women, Baruch Hashem. Best. This house, Baruch Hashem, best Shuret Torah. Why? They love Torah here. Ask some of my students, male students, to have Shuret Torah. I'm busy. Were you busy all the time? I'm tired. You're tired all the time? I don't know who's going to come. You don't know who's going to come all the time? Never. You can never do a shul in your house? Women, Baruch Hashem, they love to come. They love to organize. This is why the Torah says, Mashiach will come because of the women, not because of the men. Men are lazy. They can't beat it. So, Baruch Hashem, but at the same token, if you have a husband, you have to send up the shul Torah. You have to send up the shul Torah. You can't be the rabbi of the house if you're a woman. Your husband has to be. So you have to send him to the Torah, even if he's lazy, even this. Use your womanly powers to convince him to go learn Torah. No Torah, no food. You earn, I'll feed you. Make sure you understand, your husband needs to go learn Torah. That's what you're going to go to Gan Eden for. Same thing with your kids. Same thing with your kids. You can't. If they're grown kids, they can sit quietly, they can learn. You have to go send them to go learn Torah. Don't have them sitting at home at 15 years old watching basketball, watching football, playing video games, all this shtuyot that are destroying people's brains. Go send them to learn Torah. 
There's Matan Torah. Donald Trump's not going to save them. The baseball player's not going to save them. IDF is not going to save them. Stock market's not going to save them. Money's not going to save them. All that's going to save them is Torah. You have to send these these kids to, to learn Torah. They have to know these alachot. They have to know what to do. I only covered 5% of it. Uh, point is, Rabotai, the whole holiday, the whole purpose of it is to understand that we have to go to Hashem and tell Him, not only do we want the Torah, we're excited about it. And we're asking you for more. Don't be one of these people that's constantly looking for leniencies of how to get by. What's the gray area? Do I have to do this one? Is this, is this like, a, is this like a, a fast that you have to do? Or is this one of those that's like, like not really? Every time there's a fast, people ask me, you have to do this fast? Or it's like one of those that you don't really have to do? Is this like a holiday that you have to keep? Or is this one of those holidays that you don't have to? What, do you live your whole life, or you, maybe you don't have to? Somebody came to Rav Kanievsky one time, he told him, the Rav, I bought these tefillin, I spent $2,500 on them. Big tefillin, amazing, ta-ta-ta, I'm using them. And then somebody looked at them and he said, wait, wait, hold on, let me check your tefillin. He looked at tefillin, he goes, no, no, these are pasul. These are not good tefillin. Yeah, I spent $2,500 on them. Well, 25 25 what do you want me to do? Pasul, they're not good tefillin. They're not good tefillin, you can't use them. So I came to you, for the, I want you to check my tefillin. Of Kanievsky takes tefillin, looks at them, says, B'diavad, B'diavad you can use them. B'diavad meaning after the fact, meaning if you had a choice to choose this tefillin or something else, you use something else. But if you already have these, then you can use them. But it's not l'chatkhila, it's not the ideal. It says that if you, after the fact, you already did it, it's okay to use it. After the fact, it's the gray area. It's after the fact. You already did it. It's fine. You can continue. You can use it, but ideally, you shouldn't use them. You use something else. So the guy says, "Ah, oh, Bo Hashem, Bo Hashem, I can use them." Bo Hashem. He takes the tefillin, taking for the rav. Take you, take you. He starts walking away, and the rav screams, smashes the table, goes, "Are you gonna live your whole life like this with the avad? After the fact, getting by with the gray area your whole life?" It's going to be, maybe you get by. 50-50, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. Your whole life is bidiyavad. Your whole life is a maybe, I just got by. That's how you're going to get through life. If I told you it about money, you wouldn't say maybe. You go with the short thing. Told you about your wife, your kids. Pick a doctor. Pick the one that just maybe is good. Pick the one that's the best in the business. Eh, maybe, maybe, maybe one is a little cheaper. Maybe. Maybe you're going to live. Maybe. <laughs> you maybe you're going to do that. That's the kind of mitzvah you do. You come into Shemaim with feeling it's maybe kosher, maybe not. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, but I spent $2,500 on them. Who cares about the $2,500? Paper. Not even. Who cares about the money? So Abutai, don't get through your whole life with the Avad. But the Avad, there's past the gray area. People look for gray area, eventually become Reshaim Gmurim. Eventually become complete Reshaim. Why? Maybe, maybe, maybe. One day you're going to say, ah, this maybe thing is, maybe I'm just going to stop altogether. So 
you have to go and show up to Shavuot telling Hashem, I want the best. Now, this does not mean that you have to be a machmir, chas v'shalom, to be a machmir in the wrong place can turn you to a chamol, turn you to a donkey. Anyone can tell you everything is not allowed. That does not make him a genius. In fact, it makes them a chamol. Anyone can tell you everything is allowed. That also doesn't make him anything. It makes them also a chamol. And a rasha. It only takes a tamit chacham to tell you what's allowed and also what you can get by without necessarily doing simply because there is a legitimate way a legitimate way, Torah way, to have a leniency in the right place at the right time. Some chumrot, some stringencies are actually easy to do. You should do them. But some places there are leniencies that you can do, but you shouldn't. And some places, it's black and white. The point is, this is where you have to have a Rav. This is where you have to have a Rav tell you what's this, what's this, what's right, what's left, where can I have a leniency, where can I, where should I do a stringency, and so on and so forth. There are certain things you should be stringent about. There are certain things you can be lenient about. No problem. It's not a problem to be lenient in certain things. It's good to be lenient. Rav Ovadia was lenient on many, many things. People think he was strict. He's not. He's very lenient. Only difference is he was lenient where he was allowed to be lenient not just because it made people happy so that's what a real chacham is a real chacham finds the kosher way of being lenient because just to tell you everything is not allowed it destroys the Torah it distorts the Torah Torah is not supposed to be a burden so you have to arrive in Shavuot and tell Hashem you want everything you want his Torah the lenient part and the stringent part. The part that's hard for you and the part that's not so hard for you. Why? Because you know it's good for you. I know it's good for you because it's coming from Him. If it's coming from Hashem, it must be good. So this, for example, anyone at Sephardic should get this series of Yakut Yosef in their house. This is a very, very simple explanation of all of the halachot for, for what we have day-to-day of how to survive. Now this specific book is about Shavuot and Yom Tov. Why is Shavuot and Yom Tov connected? Because Shavuot is Yom Tov. Some of the holidays are not considered Yom Tov. Like Hanukkah is not Yom Tov. Purim is not Yom Tov. But Shavuot, Sukkot, Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that's all considered Yom Tov. Yom Tov is the same thing as Shabbat with the exception of cooking. Also, last thing is you, you have to understand is you're not allowed to prepare on Shabbat for Yom Tov. Meaning, you're not allowed to cook on Shabbat for Yom Tov. Even though you're allowed to cook on, on Yom Tov if you have the certain tools that you're able to do it with, let's say, the barbecue or whatever it is, pre-existing fire. But you're not allowed to do it on Shabbat. You're not allowed to prepare on Shabbat for anything that's happening after Shabbat, even Yom Tov. Also, but it's not just cooking. Even setting the table. You're not allowed to set the table for Yom Tov on Shabbat. 
So if let's say, for example, your husband went to, uh, to shul early, he went, let's say, at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, wherever he went, and you figure you want to have the, uh, the table ready, you know, you, are, you have a couple of hours, so let, let me just do this right away. Let me set up the table now, put the plates, put the salad, put whatever you want, to set up for Yom Tov, because as soon as he comes home, you have to have Kiddush all over again. It's uh, Yom Tov, it's Shavuot. You're not allowed to set up the table as long as it's Shabbat. Why? Because you're, gonna, you're setting up something on Shabbat, you're preparing something on Shabbat without enjoying it on Shabbat. On the other hand, if you want to sweep to clean up again, uh, then, that you're allowed to do. Why you're allowed to sweep or clean a little bit? Because technically the cleaning is something you are going to enjoy at that moment. You are, you, even though you'll benefit out of it on Yom Tov also, you'll benefit out of it right there and then also. So if you're going to benefit out of it at that moment too, you're allowed to do it. If it's purely preparation for the Chag, not allowed to do it on Shabbat. So, if you have, you want to change the the uh, the thing on the table and all of that stuff, you cannot do it unless it's already after Shabbat. Can't prepare for the Chag during Shabbat. Don't worry, the food's not going to run away. People are so crazy about food, they make the entire holidays about food. They make the entire Shabbat about food. How many times you go to houses, you go to different people, and you see the entire Shabbat, it's all about food. Oh, you ate that salad? Yeah, I ate the salad. You ate that salad? Yeah, you ate that meat? Yeah, that meat. You ate the chicken? Yeah, the chicken. Yes. Anybody have Dvar Torah? Yeah, yeah, my six-year-old is going to give me Dvar Torah. My six-year-old is going to give us Dvar Torah. Okay, the six-year-old, what about the father of the six-year-old? The 36-year-old, the 46-year-old? What about his Dvar Torah? Ah, no, I didn't read this parasha. Oh, so the six-year-old has, does not obligate it. He's going to give the Dvar Torah for the entire family. The father doesn't say a thing. It's a joke of the year. The only reason you have Shabbat is because of the Torah. Gemara asks, how come, how come Rabbi Yosef, the rabbi of Rava, that Allah goes like him, why did he have the merit to have such a student like Rava? Why? He told the students for Shavuot, for Shavuot, I want you to give me a whole calf. I want a whole calf. Because Kodah Rav doesn't eat so much meat. You can eat such a meat. What's uh, Yom Tov? You don't eat meat the whole year. You eat meat like this on one holiday like this. Because you don't understand what Shavuot is. If it wasn't for Shavuot, Rabbi Yosef would be uh, cleaning streets in the market. There wouldn't be a Rabbi Yosef. Why? If there wasn't Shavuot, there wouldn't be Torah. What else would I do in this world if it's not for the Torah? If it wasn't for the Torah, you'd be uh, a scientist looking for rats in the street just to identify diseases, maybe. You'd be uh, picking up garbage. You'd be playing with the uh, manure of, uh, of the cows to put fertilizer. If it wasn't for the Torah, you'd be a purposeless being. Rabbi Yosef understood, if it wasn't for the Torah, what would I be? Nothing. There's nothing other than Torah. That's what Shavuot is, Rabotai. That's what Shavuot is. So, this book, if you're Sephardic, this is it. For Ashkenazim, there's obviously many others. Uh, the point is, you need to have a source that's very simple for you to understand of how to follow the Chagim. There's also uh, a series of books called... Uh, 
called Our Heritage, I believe. Something like that. Our Heritage is a series, three-part series book that I recommend for all Jews, converts, and so on to get. It gives you a good explanation with some halachot of each one of the uh, important days in Judaism. You should get this. The point is, Rabotai, don't learn your entire Torah from the internet. Read some books, for heaven's sake. Get some books, take the money, instead of buying another dinner, another steak, another navigation system, another iPhone, another nonsense device, get some books and read them. Don't be one of these people that has a beautiful uh, uh, shelf of books and everything is brand new with the sticker on it still, because you never read it. Have the books and read them. You have to have some things that are going to tell you how to function every day, how to function in your life. You need to know what to do. You're going to have kids. If you're a kid, you have a wife, you have, to, you have to know what's going on. Of course, I'm more than happy to answer all questions, but a lot of the times people ask questions, and I ask myself, really, like I was the last source, like you couldn't just go and buy and open a book and just ask me if it's allowed to drive on Shabbat or not. Like Some of the questions are difficult, Baruch Hashem, and I love those questions. Even the easy ones I like, I don't have a problem with it. But I, sometimes you see that really the question is not because the question. The question is because people are lazy. They don't want to open a book and learn themselves. You have to open a book. You have to learn. I'm more than happy to answer questions. But if I'm your, I'm your only source, there's a problem here. Houston, we have a problem. Ask questions. But you have to study also on your own. Don't just go to Rabbi Google. Buy some books. Do some homework. Learn some Torah. Stop watching TV. It's considered Abu Dazara, according to the stipler. Stipler Gaon says television is Abu Dazara. It's not a, uh, this is not a stringency. Simply Abu Dazara. Stop watching television. Stuyot anyway. It's just destroying brains. That's it. I mean, anybody have any specific questions? I mean, there's plenty of things I could go over, but we could go, go to the Chot. It's going to take another two, three hours. Uh, I mean, the basics you guys know of right now. Uh, like I said, Shabbat is the main reason, main change here. Shabbat coming before the holiday. Make sure when you light the candles, it's not during Shabbat. It's after Shabbat is completed. Make sure you have a, uh, at least two meals during the Chag, that Motzei uh, Shabbat, which also you could be a Mekaven in your mind that it's also Melavel Malka, it's the fourth meal of Shabbat, which is a big mitzvah that David Melech uh, did uh, every Motzei Shabbat to celebrate that he was still alive, because Hashem told him he'll die on Shabbat. And so every Motzei Shabbat, if he didn't die, he had a Melavel Malka, he had a big meal, even bigger than Sudash Lishit. To celebrate that he's still alive for another whole week. Uh, so have uh, three. There's three meals on Shabbat: Friday evening, Saturday afternoon, and then the third one is going to also be this particular time. It's also going to be Saturday early afternoon because you have to arrive hungry to uh, to the Chag. After that, go to your shul and start learning. Now, if your shul happens to be a uh, um, you know, carnival, where pretty much everybody's just smoking cigarettes all day and joking around, then not only you shouldn't go there, you're not allowed to go there. If you see that you go there and everybody's just eating, drinking, smoking, and doing nothing, take yourself up, pick yourself up, and make another mitzvah. What's a mitzvah? Leave the Moshev Letzim. Moshev Letzim is a place of clowns. Ashrei Adam, Ashrei Adam, praiseworthy is the person that doesn't go to a place of, uh, of Leitzim. 
of clowns. Leave the place, go home. Or go to a different shul that has serious Torah there. There's not a time to hang out. I'm not saying that you're, uh, you can't breathe and you, you want to eat, eat. You want to drink, drink. You want to smoke, smoke. Do it. Everything's allowed. But don't just make it just about that. And by the way, if you're a smoking cigarette, there's a leniency. Uh, even though smoking is bad for you, if you're already addicted to it, there's a leniency from Rav Ovadia that uh, Rav Tzion Abashol agreed with as well. That if you smoke cigarettes, you're allowed to smoke cigarettes on the Yom Tov as long as it's from a pre-existing fire. Meaning you're lighting a cigarette from a pre-existing fire, not from your uh, lighter. In general, you shouldn't smoke. It's bad for your health. But trust me, I know the addiction. I smoked for almost 20 years before I quit, Baruch Hashem. I didn't quit because I didn't like it. I quit because I knew Hashem didn't like it. But if it was up to me, I'd still smoke right now in front of you. So I know how the addiction is. Trust me, I did it for 20 years. But when you know that Hashem doesn't like it, and you want Him to like you, you try to do whatever you can to stop doing the things He doesn't like. Um, so as far as Friday, light the candles for Shabbat, plus an extra candle that you're going to use for the Chag. Have the dinner, enjoy Saturday morning, Shabbat, regular then you have a Sudash uh, Lishit. Then on Motzei Shabbat, you light the candles. You do Avdalah with that pre-existing uh, uh, fire. You just light a new candle from that pre-existing fire. You do a blessing on the fire. You do a blessing on uh, on the wine. You do not do a blessing on the uh, on uh, incense. Uh, you have dinner. You go study Torah. Um, after that, you know, you're going to study all night. You pray at the shul early in the morning. Usually they have early minyans. You pray, you go home, you get a you know, couple of hours of rest. Uh, whatever you need to rest. Don't sleep the whole entire day, but sleep whatever you need to sleep. Uh, then, you know, in the morning, uh, afternoon, you have to go to shul again. There's another uh, meal in the afternoon. Uh, because we're in the uh, exile, we have two Yom Tovs. In Israel, the uh, holiday is from Motzei Shabbat until uh, it's one day. In the exile, our Chag is finished at the end of Monday. Whereas their Chag is finished at the end of Sunday. Touches life. It doesn't matter if you're Israeli. It doesn't matter if you're Argentinian. It doesn't matter if you're a uh, sumo wrestler or if you're a Martian. If you're a Jew you, and you live in the exile... You have to celebrate two Yom Tovs. Agree with it or not is irrelevant. As a matter of fact, even if you went on vacation to Israel, you still have to do two days over there. Why? Because you're only there for vacation. You don't live there. If you move there, then you could do one day. But since you didn't move there, then you do two days. Um, like I said, every time you have a meal, make sure it's uh, Lechem Mishneh, full bread. Enjoy the meal, and also, 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 last but not least, make sure you do not allow the Satan to ruin the entire mitzvah. It's a very, very simple way that the Satan can ruin the entire mitzvah, the entire Chag, and all of it turns to garbage. How? Getting angry. It's very easy to get angry at family, at yourself, at the cooking, at the air conditioning not working, at the neighbors, at the kids, at the dog, at the cat, at the everything, at yourself. 
It's very easy to get angry. Why? Because the biggest mitzvah is not to get angry. You have to be happy during these holidays. So if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything. Learn how to be quiet. If your wife made you angry, your husband made you angry, that's the mitzvah. Say nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. Say nothing. Kids are annoying you. Don't say anything. Whatever. You have to obviously discipline them the way you have discipline, but don't get angry. Getting angry is considered Avodah Zarah Rabotai. We'll learn about it next week, Bezad Hashem. Uh, the next Mishnah, we're out of time today. But uh, anger is horrible. 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 Bezad Hashem, I'll do tshuva for it myself. This is one of my biggest tikkunim. Uh, it's very easy to get angry. There's no such person as someone not getting angry. The Mishnah doesn't talk about people that don't get angry because it's not possible. Everybody gets angry. But... You have to control yourself. You have to control yourself. So, specifically during this Chag, you cannot get angry. So, there's no shiul on Sunday this uh, coming week because of the Chag. But, so the next shiul, Bezat Hashem, will be next Tuesday. Next Tuesday at the Breast of Center, Bezat Hashem. Uh, unless you guys have any questions, we'll uh, call it tonight. Anybody? Same price. Usually, I shut off the cameras. Okay, shut off the camera. Don't go ask questions. See, I didn't know. I thought the, I thought the parts about Shavuot would be uh, half hour. I think it's longer than a regular shiur. Such is the Torah. Torah Baruch Hashem is uh, endless. Endless. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can rest a couple of hours. Sure, you can rest a couple of hours to uh, before uh, studying for the night. Yeah, sure. I mean, the Chachamim do that all year round. Chachamim do that all year round. They uh, they go to sleep early somewhere, maybe around like 9 o'clock. They sleep, they wake up around midnight, and they study. They start their, uh, they start their day at midnight. That's how uh, some of the big Chachamim became Chachamim. You'll see in the uh, sixth chapter of Pirkei Avot, talks about this 48 different things that you need sacrifice that a person needs to make in order to become a Tamil Chacham, in order to earn Torah, one of them is less sleep, which I know you're very good at, Baruch Hashem, but uh, you are, Chazak he's very good at it, Chazak Hashem, you continue having the Koach to continue doing it, uh, but the, uh, it's important to know that sleep, if you want to sleep a lot, you also are saying that you're not going to become Tamil Chacham. Now, if it's not important for you to become Tamil Chacham or at least try for it, then we have to start the series all over for you. We have to go back to series number one. Um, the point is, like, like I said, becoming a Tamil Chacham is not up to us. Trying to be. Trying to be. That's the point. That's up to us. We could try to be. Um, so, yes, you can rest, rest a little bit during the afternoon. Uh, you know, you're going to have a, uh, some time because you're probably going to pray Mincha early. Most places are probably going to have Mincha around like 1, 2 o'clock. Uh, then you're back home. And uh, between that and Alvit is, you know, probably six hours or so. Uh, so you can rest. You get a couple of hours during uh, Shabbat afternoon. Uh, or after the Kiddush, you get, a, you get an hour or so. But just make sure that you get up. That's the thing. Sometimes it's, it's easy to fall asleep. It's hard to get up. It's hard to get up.
So make sure you get up. But again, remember, it's better something than nothing. So even if you oversleep and you wake up, uh, I don't know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, still go, get up and go study. Go to the shul, go study, study on your own, whatever, but go, do it. It's good to go to the shul and study with people because that's going to help you stay up. Unless you already have it where you already are able to study by yourself all night. Some people are like that. I personally like to study by myself. I don't really like studying with people. Um, but uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I like studying with you guys. It's a shiu, it's different. But, um, you know, it's generally it's like the big thing where there's like everybody gives their own opinion and stuff like that. I'm not usually a big fan. Not usually a big fan. But if you have a good group of people, it could be great. Could be great. Point is, make sure you study. That's the ikal. Being being with your friends is not the ikal. Eating cheese is not the ikal. Ikal meaning the most important. It's all good. You can do it. But don't turn the important to non important and the non important to the important. Any questions? Look how amazing the, 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 the balata bite is. You guys just learned Torah, now she's giving you a five-course meal of Yishta. Bakshi in the middle of the night, you have a five-course meal. I don't understand. Hillel, Hillel Azaken, Hillel Azaken is in Gadin and Rainah, he's saying, listen, how come over there, they wouldn't even let me learn Torah without paying? They wouldn't let me learn Torah without paying. He had to give half of his salary to the Bet Midrash, so they could come let him learn, not to eat. Let him learn. Half the money, he gives to his family so they can eat. And half the money... To the caller so you could go learn. You guys come learn the Balata Bait said he's giving you a five course meal over there. You see, that's the tease. That's the oh, it's good, but it's also kitrug if you don't come learn. Amen Amen. All of you on Facebook that can come, you're missing out good meals and even Torah Bauch Hashem. So come, come. I don't care if you're in New York or anywhere, you should come just for the meal. Just for the meal you should come. Baruch Hashem. Thank you everyone.